Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. So much going on in the morning papers today. The coalition under fire for stopping COVID welfare to people going abroad, while also under fire for ramping up the entitlements uh, to salary of three super junior ministers. The government has come under fire for stopping the pandemic unemployment payment, the PUP, for people who are leaving the country for holidays. Tornish to Leo Varadkar defended the decision to have Garda welfare officers check whether travellers were on the payment before they went abroad on flights. Now, this didn't seem to be uh, the preserve of the government when you were, say, on uh, social welfare proper and job seekers allowance, that kind of thing. You could always go on holidays. Uh, but now they're saying you need to be available for work here. And if you're not uh, in the state, if you're not in the country, you don't get your welfare payment, uh, the PUP payment, that is, the COVID payment. So uh, Tisha Lee of Radcliffe is defending this. However, Green Party TD, TD Nessa Harrigan raised questions over why one group of people would be policed while travelling and said she planned to raise the issue directly with Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys. Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald described the government as a shambles already. After emerging the last two weeks, 104 people had their payments stopped after they took flights out of the country. So is it discrimination or is it down to the fact that they'd have to quarantine when they come home and therefore would not be available? For work, should they be called in? Doctors and teachers furious at €16,000. Super junior minister's hike is hypocrisy that poisons morale. Laura Linnet and Aoife Walsh reporting on the uh, in the Irish Independent uh, today. And we'll come to this in more detail later on. Teachers, childcare workers and doctors' unions have reacted furiously to the €16,288 super junior minister's pay hike while workers suffer salary inequality in the pandemic. And the top-up pay for super juniors already earning 134000 has caused huge anger among thousands of workers who are on different salary scales to their colleagues following pay cuts introduced during the last recession. So it's one rule for them and one rule for everybody else, it seems. But yesterday, Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue said he understood the great annoyance and anger over the Cabinet's decision to sign off on the pay increase for uh, three super junior ministers. Mr Donoghue said that while he could absolutely understand the anger that this is causing for some, the decision should be placed on the context of a number of measures announced under the government's stimulus plan last week. Uh, In other words, they wanted everybody who sits at the Cabinet table, whether junior uh, or senior, to be paid the same amount of money. Uh, ministerial pay rise draws criticism, but a court TD said it's fair. Minister for Public Expenditure Michael McGrath has defended the decision to increase the salary of super junior ministers in Cabinet by more than 16,000. Uh, and hopefully we'll speak to Michael in the near future today or maybe tomorrow on that issue. Hospitals take a hit, says the Echo. And uh, Fall in car park fees may impact services. Over a quarter of a million euro was collected by two Cork hospitals through car park charges in the first six months of the year. But that's just 8% of the total intake in 2019. A quarter of a million euro, just 8%. So 12 times that, or 12 and a half times that, would be, wow, that's an awful lot of money from car parking, isn't it? Uh, Information obtained under the Freedom of Information Act revealed that Cork University Hospital collected over 2.8 million in hospital car park charges, while over 438 grand was paid in parking costs to the South Infirmary Victoria University Hospital for the whole of 2019. It is some revenue stream, isn't it? Holiday ban for the jobless, says the Mirror front page. Stopping benefits for people who travel abroad has been described as a vile attack on the jobless. Uh, of course, Richard Boyd Barrett's going to be angry on this one. Those in the pandemic unemployment payment and job seekers allowance will lose the support if they leave the country. So it's extended to those who are uh, on job seekers allowance. And guardian social welfare officers will be at airports to enforce the move. But people before Prophet TD Richard Boy Barrett raged, it beggars belief 
that they'd single out people who would have lost their jobs and attacked them like this. Shane McGowan, Shane Mask McGowan, his wife's making a very pretty uh, masks, uh, Victoria, and that's front page of The Sun. Back to school, the new rules for classes return revealed. This is the independent front page. Lunch, lunch breaks will be staggered. Pupils will only be able to mingle in the yard with their own classmates. Uh, these are under the new rules about to be proposed today. Primary school children will be sectioned off into pods between four and six pupils and classes and separated by at least a metre from their classmates. Meanwhile, secondary school students will be asked to wear masks on school buses, but wearing them in classes will be optional. State funding will be provided for primary and secondary schools, so yards can be divided up to allow for segregated outdoor areas for pupils during lunch breaks. And Education Minister Norma Foley's plan has also cleared the way for the return of interactive subjects such as PE, music, computer science and metalwork. More on that later in the programme. COVID scam is blocked. Social welfare officers have put a stop to nearly 11,000 false pandemic unemployment claims the Irish Daily Mirror reveals today and more than 4,000 of them were being paid to people who were not even living in Ireland. And uh, that's uh, pretty effective policing there. Another 6,000 who made claims for the taxpayer-funded support already had employment. It it, uh, has emerged. However, a series of investigations have discovered their activities and saved the state about 45 million euro. Uh, scientist changes his mind on masks. This is like the British government. They're good for you. No, you don't need them. They're, they're essential. They're not really needed. It's on and on, over and back, over and back. A Cork scientist who admits he was sceptical about the use of face coverings amongst the public at the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak is now urging people to always carry a DIY face mask and says in the absence of vaccination, we should mask the nation. That's a little bit of rhyming slang there. Mr. Ryan's team of eight to run office. The Green Party has two joint chiefs of staff. The President of the United States has one. Eamon Ryan, uh, you know, junior partner, I suppose, really, in the new government, has two joint chiefs of staff. And they can be paid up to €101,000 each. Climate Minister Eamon Ryan has two chiefs of staff and will have up to six further special advisors. It emerged yesterday. The Green Party leader's team will earn salaries of up to 101000 Mr. Ryan has defended, uh, surprisingly, uh, defended the, the decision to create the roles of joint chiefs of staff in his office. The newly appointed pair will be based in the Department of the Taoiseach, where the 56-year-old is permitted to have as many as five special advisors. He's from Dublin Bay South, TD elected there, re-elected as party leader last Thursday, and he's employed three top aides to help him as Climate Action Minister. A special advisor to the member of the Cabinet is able to earn a salary of 87 to 101,000, and ministers are usually only able to hire two special advisors. However, since Mr. Ryan is over two departments, he has decided to increase the expertise around him. The move is said to have led to concern in the Green Party recently with some anxiety expressed privately by a number of TDs and ministers. If Leo was all about spin and spending money on spin, I think it seems this government is all about the gravy train. Residents must have their say. A student development on North Main Street would have nearly 300 beds. The Echo reporting there by Sarah Dwyer that there are both positives and negatives in plans to have been uh, submitted for a 279-bed student accommodation building on a brownfield site in the heart of the historic spine of Cork City, councillors have said. Major enhancements for Cove and surrounding areas. Cove is set to benefit from a host of improvement works, which will see the delivery of further safety and accessibility enhancements with road upgrades and pedestrian-friendly measures being developed. That's also in the echo. Also in the echo, the government will fail to do uh, what is needed. Members of Extinction Rebellion Cork stage a die-in on Opera Lane. So they're lying down as if they're dead, masks on, and they're holding up their own gravestones. Um, But they have uh, expressed their extreme dissatisfaction with the new government-proposed environmental 
measures. Leo Baranker saying we're going to improve our cancer screening. The mirror has proved you can't pay rent and we won't evict you. And in the Sun, there's a very interesting story about the staycation and what they're calling it now the Praycation scam. Irish holidaymakers are being warned to be aware of staycation scams. Fraud Smart, the Fraud Awareness Initiative led by Banking and Payments Federation Ireland is urging people to be cautious about how they book their trips online. New figures show that the number of people searching for holiday homes in Ireland has shot up by 112% in June as people look to enjoy a staycation. But experts say this could lead to people being taken advantage of. Keith Gross, who is the head of financial crime and security at BPFI, said as a result of this pent-up demand, we're warning consumers of an increased risk in holiday purchase scams as fraudsters take advantage of this. And as you might have heard, Jamie, saying pigging out once in a while is cool. It's okay. A grub cheat day is okay. Having a cheat day binging on fatty foods isn't bad for your health, experts claim. Researchers found the body can cope surprisingly well with occasional overeating. 17 minutes after 9 on The Neil Prendeville Show. Good morning. The Neil Prendeville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. And this is Mick Mulcahy to our phone lines, and we go to line one in Pat Phelan. Good morning, Pat. Morning, Mick. Now, I've often heard you at, uh, talking to Neil, and um, you, you, of course, have your own concerns about the number of travellers uh, arriving into this country. There's, it's all over the news about people leaving the country and having their, uh, their entitlements cut. Uh, where do we stand now? About 16,000 passengers a week, I think, are arriving in Ireland now, is it? Uh, 34,000 landed from 13th to 19th of July. I just put it up on Twitter there. Okay, so it is, uh, it's increasing then, the numbers as, as we go through. As time it's goes increasing. by, the numbers are increasing. It's increasing dramatically, but it's always been, you know, it's been, it's been quite high. And I think what, I, what I've been advocating for online is that, you know, we don't appear to have uh, quarantine. We have, uh, according to the government, that's 4% of people who land are followed up upon. And uh, we have what's called restrictions, which isn't clear. And I'm not anti-travel, by the way. I just want to be clear. And, and yesterday, everything changed again, where, you know, uh, the Taunishta came out and said, uh, if you were traveling, so, so let's take an example. Um, John and Mary, John worked full-time, worked throughout COVID. Mary works in Debenhams and was laid off and is on a COVID payment. If John and Mary travel to Italy, Mary will have her, co- which is on the green list, by the way, will have her COVID payment stopped. Mm-hmm. And I think, why are we concentrating on outgoing when we have a dramatic incoming problem, especially from the USA, especially from a number of hotspots? Yeah, we have 6,000 people a day arriving in the country. That's where I got the 16 from, 6,000 a day. Uh, yeah. So that's around, around 40, 42,000 a week. Now, 1,122 passengers arrived from the U.S. between the 13th of July and the 19th of July. So that's over yes. a 1,000 people coming from the biggest COVID hotspot in the world. And 40 of them were phoned on average to confirm their location. So 960 of them wandered around the country. So it's game over then. Why, why are we wearing masks in shops? Why are we doing all the social distancing? Why are the pubs still closed? Why are the schools still closed? I, I, I can't understand the incoming problem. I can't understand why we can't be stricter on our incoming. You know, and, and I was talking to a, privately to a, a well-known Cork doctor, you know, and we really need to do quick tests at the hospital, at, at the airports. Everyone's done them in Asia. 
It's a simple thing to do. Hang around an hour. You go into quarantine for two weeks or you pay 200 euros to get your test done. To get your test done and you're clear. You're clear. You don't have to go into quarantine then. Yeah, exactly. 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 You know, and this 350 COVID payment being taken away from, you know, a husband and wife. Like, it, is that, it's is very that constitutional? Follow, that? It's very hard to follow. You know, I, I, I like... I, I, I don't agree with their politics, but I like what Mary Lou said yesterday. She said, uh, best not to go, but if you can go to a green list, this can change while you were away. You know, it, 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 it's totally mixed up. As happened in Northern Ireland, because uh, some people flew in yesterday six or seven hours notice only that they were going to have to go into quarantine. But at least it regulated everything on the same level now as the Republic. So at least as an island now, we well, we seem to have the same... Statutes we don't, because we don't have quarantine in, in no, Ireland. I'm just going to get to that. We don't have the quarantine that they're now insisting on in the North. So now the North have surpassed us in their safety measures. <laughs> and by the way, if you're from Dublin, you're on COVID payment. You can drive to Belfast, fly out of Belfast, fly back into Belfast from a non-railed country, drive back to Dublin and your COVID payment won't be taken away. It's ridiculous. But it will be if you fly from Cork to wherever. And the number of uh, southern registered cars, and I'm, when I say southern now, I mean Cork, Kerry, Waterford cars that were seen and photographed yesterday uh, in both Belfast airports, people are looking at, well, let's not leave any record with the Irish government of us leaving the country, let's go through Belfast. It's, um, it's just very disjointed, you know, and I think the easiest way is to the easiest way to solve it is to have, forget about who's going out and solve it on the way coming in. You can't, you, you can't solve an Irish problem that's coming down the road from Belfast. I know, but you can you, you can solve as best you can in the Irish airports. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think if you were to look at the problem for inbound to Ireland, to, you know, 40,000 people with a 4% follow-up rate... But all of a sudden, we're able to check everybody's PPS number and social welfare, etc. That's not a big thing to solve, but it's a big thing to solve to trace people on the way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to hell with people's health, but let's let's save a few quid so we so we can yeah. dish it out to our own ministers. Um, well, <laughs> the least said there, the better. Oh, there'll be enough said about that. Believe me. <laughs> well, I'm sure there will. You know, like uh, we, I, you know. I run, I run a very large business, you know, I, I, I wish I could have afforded as many advisors. Yeah, how is life for you these days, Pat? Obviously you're, you're, you're comfortable, but you still have the, the nose to the wheel, as they say. Yeah, we're working hard, we have a great team. Um, obviously I'm surrounded by doctors, so, you know, everything mm. is medical, so that kind of, that, that, that gives me great comfort, and, you know, I look... We'll get through it. There's, you know, we just have to get through it. Our numbers, are, I mean, it's the one thing, our numbers are great um, as a survival rate. Our numbers are really good. I think medically we've done a fantastic job. But I think since since the new government got in, there's been gravy trains, massive mixed messages. And it's it's very hard. It's very hard to follow when it changes on a daily basis. Yes. Pat, can I, can I, that's the problem most people have, I think. Yeah, but you're, you're obviously keeping well ahead of, of all the news. You're, you're looking at the stats, you're looking at research. I suppose you wouldn't have the business you have without doing that kind of thing every day anyway. I think that's the thing we have to do, you know. We've been very lucky with CSU. We've, we'd, uh, we've all the clinics open. Um, you know, we're practicing medicine, so 
that gives us a bit of an advantage. We're very lucky. My two partners are both doctors, so you know, I see I see all the forthcoming stuff early. But I I think look at the end of the day, it's still the same advice: wash your hands, don't touch your face, wear a mask. I believe when indoors and when on public transport, you know, and just mind yourself. Be careful. Don't spend too much time in one place, and. You know, let's stop penalising people for stupid things. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question, Pat? And uh, sure. just, just from a personal sort of a perspective, because I think people would like to know, do you ever get nostalgic in, in that, does poverty look nice in retrospect? Um, I'm very weird in that, making <laughs> that I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big spender or anything like that. I, I, I have a nice car. And I have a nice house, and that's kind of it, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I'll be honest, and it sounds like, beginning to sound like your man, Bill, who's beyond The Apprentice. If I took out 50 quid on a Monday, it would do me for the week. I'm just not. You're not it, has made a huge, it has made a huge change in my life, to be mm-hmm. honest. And do you use it for greater good at all? I do. I Well, I do a few things, you know. Yeah. I have yeah. a couple of things I support, and I have a couple of things I really like. And it's, it's, I suppose when you have money, it's nice to support things uh, discreetly as well. Yeah, and we did we did the things for you know those three of us got together and did all the cars for the nurses, and then that's what prob- probably one of the best things I've ever did. I'll be honest. Okay, always great yeah. to hear from you, Pat. Um, uh, you were of course being attacked on air here a month ago regarding USA arrivals. Um, flights were empty, cargo no passengers, only sixteen passengers coming through. Uh, th- those numbers. I got came an through. awful lot of hassle on that, Mick. You yeah. know. I really did, people, you know, I work in the airport and my boyfriend's a pilot and there was no one on that plane from the US and you're going, well, there's the numbers. Yeah. Everyone is transiting. There's a thousand people a week coming through customs into Dublin from the USA. Forty of them are being followed up with. You might as well not follow up at all. You might as well just say, look, we're not going to bother. Yeah. Wear a mask, wash your hands and don't hang out in groups. Yeah. And um, you saw the, I mean, there was an interview a few weeks ago, and it was, it was I think it was in the mirror, actually, where it said, uh, you know, a couple came in from Dallas. They said, oh, yeah, we're definitely quarantined. And they said, what's your plan to get from the airport to your, to your hotel? Oh, either a bus or a taxi. Mm-hmm. Which is the most you can do there is a, is a mask anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Pat, always nice to talk to you. Thanks a million for coming on again. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to line two where Maureen is holding. Thanks uh, for holding, Maureen. How are you? I'm very well, Nick. How are you? Good. Rangery over the people on social welfare going on holidays. Definitely, yes. I'm very annoyed about it. Angry that they're going or angry that their entitlements are being stopped? I would agree that their entitlements would be stopped and I don't agree with them going. Um, I just explain my own situation and it's not a self-pity situation, but I'm probably going to be lambasted when I hang up the phone. Um, I'm an old-age pensioner. My only income is my old-age pension. During this pandemic, and we're still in a pandemic, I've adhered to a government guideline. Now, I, I did apply for the 500 euro grant from, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, from Red Cross Stroke alone. Because of the fact that I own my own house, if something happens to it, I'll have to pay. And during this pandemic, which we're still in again, um, my boiler went. And my washing machine went, and I obviously had to borrow for those. Okay. And guess what? I received a letter um, during 
last weekend saying that I was refused for the 500 euros. Okay, so that's a hardship um, grant, is it? A hardship grant. Uh, I think that people in my age bracket uh, were kind of categorised as being vulnerable. We have adhered to all government guidelines. And to be honest, and this might seem very melodramatic, I think they just want to leave us die. Because I've only been out of my house three times since we went into lockdown. That must be very Uh, hard for you mentally as well, is it? I have to tell you quite blatantly that it did affect my mental health. I found it very, very difficult to manage because my only people that I was meeting in the outside world was my means on wheels and the postman. Well, that's a very very small social circle now. Very, very small. And um, on that basis, I would like to thank uh, the guardian, Grona Brothers, and the volunteers up in St. Mary's in Nakahini, who joined this pandemic and all these volunteers who delivered my, my dinners to me. So are, are you saying that it, it, while it's evident from your, your age bracket, Maureen, that yes. you would be vulnerable to, towards picking up and contracting uh, the COVID virus, uh, you, you have adhered to all of that, but there's no state understanding, if you like, that you can also be vulnerable to other things like capital expenditure for a washing machine or for a boiler. You're only on the old age pension. Exactly. And may I say that I worked all of my life and paid my tax and my hemp, but during the time that I was working, even though I worked in an office and a solicitor's office, which is irrelevant, there was no pensionable jobs when I was working. Okay. Yeah, I suppose when when you were and when I when I started work and which was with Aircom or Board Telecom or Telecom Air and it became uh, in its many different guises, uh, there was a, a section of female society, elderly females, who uh, had come through as spinsters their working life because if they got married they'd lose their job. So that's correct. Yes, you weren't allowed to work if you if you got married. How t- how times have changed, but um, have you have you any uh, basis for appeal for the hardship grant that was refused? No, I have a letter saying that I was refused. Sorry, they had only something like ten thousand euros in in the pot. Hang on a second, ten thousand euros—that's only twenty hardship grants. Yeah. For for how big an area? Oh, we're supposed to be for the whole of Ireland. <laughs> You're kidding me. I'm not. Um, I'm in my sitting room at the moment. I'm trying to get the letter for you, but I'd be only delaying you. No, it's fine. Um, we're hoping to be talking today or tomorrow to the Minister for Public Expenditure. Let's see if that's true. If there's only 20, uh, 10 grand in the pot, you can only help, no, uh, help I mean, out. I may be wrong in that now because my letter is in the kitchen. Okay, we, 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 we'll, com- we'll confirm it with you off air anyway, okay? Yeah, that's okay. Okay. But that's the scenario. Oh, may I, may I say just one thing, if you don't mind, please? Sure. And that is, um, I never knew that there was such a stigma attached to having a COVID test. Um, I ever smoked in my life, and about two weeks ago, I developed a chest infection and a cough, and I have a very good GP, and he decided, on, on account of my age, it would be better if I went for the test. Okay. I did, go, I did go for the test last Thursday, and thankfully it came back negative. But... Um, I found that when I, innocently, when I spoke to people that I had to have a COVID test, they actually ran away from me. (laughs) It was like like as if I had the plague. I thought those days were gone. Any man, woman or child in society could have it that that you're getting close to. Uh, You can see that 16 million people around the world now have caught it through the transmission by air, uh, you know, and and moisture droplets from coughing and sneezing or whatever way they contract it. So, you know, hundreds and thousands of people in Ireland have now gone for the test. Just because, just because... Did you get a chance to tell them my test came back negative? It came back quickly, by the way, did it? It did. It came back within three days. Yeah, that's very good. It's very good. 
because uh, I was kind of prioritised on account of my age bracket, I think. Well, at least somebody's prioritising you because of your age and circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Maureen, thank you very much. You're more than welcome. And Thanks. I apologise if I got big waffles during our conversation. <laughs> You're fine. It's always lovely to talk to you. Thanks, Maureen. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Seamus, good morning. Hi, Seamus. Good morning, Niall. It's Mick. Hey, how are you? Yeah, yeah about the... Uh, the people coming in, the the uh, Americans coming in. You're saying it's it's uh, it's not just about tourism; it's about landing slots. Yeah, there's a lot of talk going around at the moment. Um, I was just the government; they're not telling what you. They won't tell you what they. They'll tell you what they want you to, to know. Effectively, you should buy the media and RT and so on. But um, there's talk out of you. There's friends of mine in the US, and they come up with this idea that perhaps there's an agreement, uh, some sort of form of industrial agreement between airlines and. Uh, and I suppose an effect the government whereby US tourists can travel here so that the Irish can secure those landing craft. Now, and it may sound like gobbledygook to some people, but maybe not the case. You'd wonder why so many uh, US flights can land here from one of the most highly infected countries, and yet all these restrictions have been placed on, effect, in effect, four and a half, five million people in, in, in Ireland when it comes to travelling. You know, I, I can imagine, Seamus, that the likes of Ryanair and Aer Lingus would continue flying into, uh, you know, the most valuable landing slots in the world are apparently London Heathrow. Uh, and I can yeah. imagine why they would continue to fly at a loss-making uh, sense, half-empty planes or empty planes over there to retain those landing slots, lest they be given to somebody well, I, else. I, I because, understand that. But, it, it but sure, surely we can't have landing slots incoming to Dublin, can we? Uh, how do you mean? Like, surely the Dublin airport isn't busy enough to, to say that a landing slot there would be as valuable as anything like Heathrow. Oh, no, this could be a landing slot in the US, though. That's, that's what we're talking about. These planes have to go, you know, to and fro. Okay, so um, they are... I'm, yeah. not about I'm not talking about Shannon, Dublin. Uh, You're talking about you know, J- JFK and O'Hare and Logan JFK, and all of those. Yeah, all the main, yeah, the main destinations, LA, LAX, uh, JFK and so on. It, 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 it's questionable. People are bringing it up out there like it's not been spoken about. But if that is the case, I mean, the government really just... Uh, are, you know, they're risking lives here, in effect. Yeah, but how, how much of that is for uh, keeping the FDI rolling, the foreign direct investment, and the number of people that are that are gainfully supported by um, U.S. multinationals here is huge, absolutely huge. It is, yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of double standards as well to go with it. I mean, you know, if you have uh, the, the new Minister for Public Expenditure on now in, in the next day or two, you might want to ask him about the, the, the 16,000 euro top-ups already. Existing. Oh, don't worry, I will be asking him that. I can't, I can't wait to hear the response for that, how we can legitimise that, given the, the pontification that he's been given to people prior to this. I mean, it says a lot about what they're about, you know, irrespective of, you know, obviously we're talking about, the, the, you know, the doing a wrong good tourists and, and, and for other destinations as well. It doesn't make sense. Clearly, it's a case that economics prevails over the lives of people in our, in this country, they'll spin it any way any way they want in, in order to make themselves look good. And Leo Bradker was absolutely brilliant at doing that. Oh, well, he had a big he, a big uh, big spin team. I, I, I don't think Michael Martin has oh, such a big he, spin he's, team. He's an expert. He's an expert. So where you know where is he in? Is he out uh, on the front line at the moment? of politics supporting his buddy. I, I, you know, I, I, no, he's not. He's, 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 he's in the background waiting. You know, any slip up there, he'll stay quiet and he'll wait for his chance to take the reins. We've lost all credibility as a nation anyway. To, I mean, to, be honest, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of Leo Varadkar uh, lately yeah, on different, different shows yeah, and reports. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. He was on there last night as yeah. well. You know, here's the teacher. That's the he question. was on uh, the week in I politics mean, yesterday. He's on three or four shows during the week. He's very, very visible still. I think a lot of people, including Chris Doherty amongst others, can't wait to hear that response from the new minister for public expenditure as to how he can justify the sixteen thousand euro top ups on already existing one hundred twenty four thousand euro salaries. Well, as I say, we're, 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 we're hoping to be talking to him today or tomorrow. I have to leave it there and take a break. Thanks a million, Seamus. Right, Cheers. Thanks. thanks. Bye bye. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now, a very, very big topic on the program last week was the safe return to school for our nation's children. And Sinn Féin spokesperson in education, Donegal O'Leary, uh, has said we need to see real action from the Minister for Education on the reopening of school in the coming days. That was late last week. Good morning, Donegal. Hello, Donica. Hello, Mick. How are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? Um, now, we're, we're looking at a, a lot of action. Uh, I'm not saying this program had anything to do with it, but there's a lot of action in regarding schools returning and an impending statement today from the department. Certain leaks into, in, into the press as well about certain different stance that, that they'll be taking as regards um, pods, as regards sectioning off playgrounds, etc. Will it be enough with four weeks to go? Okay, well, like, I mean, first of all, look, I mean, the problem is, is that we are right down to the wire here. Uh, and even there are talks of the sums that are involved and the resources that will be available. It's going to be really, really hard to put them together in this, in this time frame. I would say as well, look, I mean, I think it's important to say, and I think it's important that people know and be aware of it. Like, as an opposition spokesperson, I have a certain responsibility, but I also want to be clear, I want this to succeed. I want this to work uh, as a parent and as a public representative. I think, you know, People made huge efforts to try and keep the show on the road between homeschooling and teachers staying in touch and classrooms and everything else and projects and art while uh, people were walking from home. It was really, really tough. It was really challenging, particularly for parents, particularly for parents who were walking from home or caring for someone. But despite everyone's best efforts, it isn't ideal. It's not the best way of educating our children. We do need to go back to a classroom setting. It is a far better uh, way of learning and children have fallen behind and we need to fix that. So what's needed now is, I mean, there's three major elements that are needed. The first is hygiene uh, and uh, infection control to ensure that um, children are safe, that teachers are safe, that staff are safe. Uh, there needs to be significant investment there in terms of PPE and sanitizer and everything else that's connected to that. Space is a big one. Uh, and personnel in terms of staff, additional teachers, substitutes, cover for people who are who are vulnerable, who are uh, unable to go to work because of the pandemic. So there's the three main elements. With two of those, the problem is the return to school became particularly hard in this jurisdiction because we have so many school buildings that are not fit for purpose, that are old, that are and at capacity, and at capacity, and a pupil teacher ratio that is the highest not only in the EU, but in the OECD. It's the highest of any major developed country. So that has made it extremely, really challenging uh, to return to school. So uh, it's been delayed and delayed. We were supposed to get a roadmap on June 12th. Even then it would have been tight. We were supposed to get it a fortnight after that. Now it's July 27th. We're now in our second Minister for Education since the COVID uh, restrictions, if you like. Uh, has, yeah. too, has too much been laid at, uh, in the lap of the new minister now? 
Well, maybe so. Like, I mean, I think may, I, I'm not sure the previous minister totally covered himself in glory. And I do think the department as a whole has probably responded uh, poorly compared to other departments. I think the leaving search issue was, was managed. I think it was very hesitant. The response to it, I think, was slow. Uh, and I think they were far too slow. They only started having initial meetings about this in mid-May. The schools have been closed since March 12th. That really wasn't good enough. So the problem is that's left it right down to the wire. I hope that this is successful. There is... Uh, funding attached that will be there for, for additional hygiene and for safety. But what we need as well is it's not just about the resources. The resources are important because we will need substitutes, we'll need cover. Uh, if if a teacher or member staff shows any symptoms like they shouldn't be, you know, trying to be here on trying to come in and I don't think they will, they'll be sensible and stay home. But obviously you need quick cover for that. So that needs to be resolved. But it's not just that. Like I mean there needs to be clarity around the protocols. I don't think it's fair to leave it totally up to local boards of management, uh, which are very often just made up of parents or concerned residents living in the locality, to leave it up to boards of management to try and figure out how they will respond if a child or a member of staff becomes symptomatic or if there's a positive case. Like I think, to be fair to local schools, they have an awful lot that's going on. I think they need clarity from the department about exactly what they should do. One of the other big issues that needs to be resolved is school transport, and it's probably a bigger issue in rural areas, but it's an issue in the city as well. Like, there's about 120,000 children uh, go to school by school tra- transport schemes, aside from public transport more generally, uh, every 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 year. Like, it shouldn't be assumed. So, like, I mean, you're not going to be able to carry the same amount of children on a bus as you usually would be. But, you know, like, capacity does need to be increased. You can't assume that just because... You know, some children have another way of getting to school that everyone does. And if the children who rely on school transport can't get school transport, like, I mean, it's not guaranteed that they're going to be able to make their way to school. So, like, I mean, that's that's vitally important. And I think the other element we need to focus on, OK, so it's not just about getting children back into the classrooms and getting them sitting down. You know, it's about learning. This is about education. So, for me, there's three big priorities that need to be focused on in terms of children. First is... There would have been children that would have become disengaged who are at real risk of becoming disengaged and losing interest in education and drifting. They need a big focus, and that's particularly... Yeah, they need an intense focus when, 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 they, when they go back. And look, notwithstanding what's going to be released today, uh, let's, let's not cut the legs out for under, from under them before uh, we see exactly the detail. Uh, but this 300 million they're saying, that's going... Oh, I'm, I'm just thinking of the farcical, almost farcical situation, whereby if you have children in pods in a classroom, and if you have children who can only mix with their own year, their own class, uh, in sectioned off elements of playgrounds, Dudica, then what's the point in cobbling them all onto one school bus? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, I mean, I think you do need, there's no way that you can just put every child onto a bus the same as, as if it were last year. Like, that's not going to happen, uh, I would hope. Um, so clearly there needs to be social distancing on the bus as well. But what that means is we need more buses uh, to ensure that the same amount of children can, can avail of school transport. But probably mandatory yeah. masking as well. Yeah, well, like, I mean, I think masking could be an element on, definitely on the transport. Like, I mean, it looks like it won't be an element, at least at primary school level in the classroom. And there's a certain logic to that, too. Like, I mean, look, especially for children with special educational needs, facial expressions and things like that are really, really important for communication. So I think there's a certain logic to that. But public trans- or the transport situation could well be a different story. But my fear is, and what I've heard is, that we're not going to know about public tra- or the school transport today, that that might be a different day and that actually we won't get all the answers that we're expecting today. So I think that will be a problem in and of itself. It's already tight. 
right down to the wire. Mm-hmm. To, Who's going to do to all of this contracting? Will it, will it be just given out to subcontractors? The board of management will say, okay, we've got a 10 grand budget, we need to get this uh, section uh, perspex, we need to get this section safe, we need to open a new toilet, we may need to rent a, uh, a prefab, we may, need to, we may even have a national situation where we'll have to allow prefabs to be uh, dropped in or erected without planning permission. There's a lot to do in four weeks. Yeah, well, look, I mean, as you know, trying to get planning permission even for a prefab can be a very slow process. So, like, I mean, I do think that that probably needs to be looked at. And realistically, a lot of this money, like, it's not going to be possible to, people might be able to spend it, but, like, all those prefabs and all that additional accommodation isn't going to be ready for the 1st of September or for the end of August. Like, I mean, I think we all realistically know that. But what it's about is, first of all, uh, trying to get children back. But then it's about expanding capacity, uh, you know, in the weeks after that too and trying to make it more and more um, safe and trying to improve the educational environment. And, like, one of the things that we'll be looking to do from the opposition point of view, we have a motion before the doll this week and we're trying to push the government to commit to getting rid of the days of overcrowded, overcrowded classrooms, getting rid of buildings that are not fit for purpose. The reason that it's been so hard is because we have an education system that's totally underfunded, totally understaffed, and it's left us completely at sea here. Uh, and the, the department is only now getting to go to it. Now, I don't think it should have taken this long, but like I do think it was a considerable factor. Um, but the other, I was saying about just categories of people that need a focus, the other ones I think are children with special educational needs. Some of them would have fallen considerably behind them. I have, you know, like, I mean, there needs to be continuity of learning there. I think they need to be able to focus. And last year's fifth years, this year's leaving they lost a huge amount of time. So, mm-hmm. like, I think as well as all the stuff around buildings, around transport, around safety, we need to have a sense of how are we going to fix the educational gap that emerged, any inequalities that would have existed, and try and put every child back on a level footing. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm nearly out of time, Donica. Can I ask you one question? The, the, there's about 25% of students and teachers pick up some sort of illness in the first few weeks of September. It's also, I think, understood that not every teacher will be able to return to work. Some of them are minding children. Some of them are also cohabiting with vulnerable adults. And they're worried about not only going into the classroom and picking up COVID, but their children going into various associations and groups and bringing COVID home to elderly parents. And I heard Leo Varadkar talking about uh, we need to do some recruiting here. How is that going to be done so quickly? Well, like, I mean, I think that's going to be a massive challenge. I think there are things that can be done. Um, but again, some of this is due to underinvestment. We had a recruitment retention crisis, especially in secondary and post-primary. What needs to be done is, like, there are teachers who are working part-time. There are teachers who are looking for permanent posts. They need to be maximised. I think that there is scope for second-year PME, professional uh, masters in education. Uh, they, I think, can, can contribute. Uh, I think... P- t- Finally, year uh, student teachers uh, can make a contribution as well. There are teachers, and we can't put a number on this, who maybe previously would have been in, in the Middle East and the Far East and things like that, who are, are now based here because of the pandemic. We need to put them to work. But there are also, like, substitution is going to be a problem in, in post-primary because you can't get it hardly a substitution Irish or in modern languages. So I think what needs to be done there is to ensure that teachers who are not currently working full-time and are interested in working full-time, that they can uh, get additional hours as well. Finally, Donica, where where does Sinn Féin stand on the Super Junior top-ups? Well, we're totally against them. Like, I mean, look, I think it's a great example, really, of, you know, logic being applied backwards. Like, I mean, they were saying, oh, well, there's a price to do the job and they all need to be getting the same money. Like, look, school secretaries are not in that situation. Uh, an awful lot of them are on lower pay than some of their colleagues. 
uh, a lot of lower paid teachers who have qualified in recent years, uh, they're not getting equal pay either. And I think it was an incredible, like, I think it was grotesque, really, to be honest. Uh, and I think people were rightly very, very angry with it. Like the super junior thing, it's trying to, it's a way of trying to get around the constitution and the limited departments and things like that. But like, realistically, there's, they're more than well enough paid. I'm not sure off the top of my head, it's 124,000. 134, I think, yeah. 134, and then another 12,000 on top of that. Another 16 on top. Yeah, uh, while, while, while the frontline workers get a round of applause. Donegal O'Leary, uh, Sinn Féin TD, thank you very much for coming on this morning. Thank you. The Neil Prenderville Show, on Twitter, at Neil Red FM. Eight minutes to ten. Eamon, thanks for holding. Good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Mick. Um, I'd like to maybe make a positive contribution to the issue of teachers and students returning to school. Okay, you're a lecturer in CIT, Eamon. I'm a lecturer in the CIT for the last 20 years. Um, I love my job. Um, I always get excited at this time of the year and looking forward to a new um, term or new semester. Um, Some of your callers made disparaging comments about teachers on Friday, and that was the main reason I rang the show on Friday, and unfortunately it was a bit late when I was coming on the show. Um, They made one caller made, or one one participant made a, a reference to teachers being lazy. And my experience in CIT, and I know from friends of mine who have um, partners who are secondary school teachers, is that's not the case. During the COVID lockdown, my colleagues in the CIT, the lecturing staff and other support staff were working very, very hard to ensure that there was online learning continuing. And mm-hmm. it appears at this stage that that's going to be, uh, the blended form of learning is going to continue at third level. I recognise that it hasn't been successful at primary and secondary school level um, because the, the students are a little bit younger and um, they need to be going back to school. And I acknowledge the need for all students to go back to school in a few weeks' time. How However, many students would be on campus normally in CIT? Or what do you expect will be the new normal? Well, it is expected that most of the theory classes will be taught online where, where we, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it is expected that the apprentices and other degree course students will be coming into labs and workshops and we're, we're expecting a reduced um, cohort of students to be on the campus at any given time, a, a greatly numbered reduced, but at the same time I have concerns about going back to work um, and my concerns are based on evidence that has emerged over the last few weeks in relation to the cohort of people who are being affected by the virus in the last few weeks and a large proportion of them are young people young and young people. adults. Do you blame the house parties for yeah. that? Um, house parties are a problem, certainly, but also um, the large groups in which some of them are congregating. Um, and it is a worry. It's a genuine worry. I know talking to some of my colleagues in the CIT, some of them are very worried about going back to work. Some of them less so. Um, but I think if there is going to be a second wave of the virus, then I think it's at third level that that's, that wave is going to occur and the clusters are going to occur within third, third level institutions. What can be done to try and um, alleviate some some of the problems? Certainly hand, sanit- hand sanitizer units inside and outside every door of every classroom in the country. Um, someone mentioned the need for toilets. I think maybe even even Donald O'Leary just mentioned about uh, sanitation is very important. It takes time to install new um, sanitary facilities, especially new toilets. And norm, the normal process is that has got to go to tender. So I can't see how that can be overcome. 
up to now, one of the main tenets of reducing the amount of infection in the country has been the two-metre social distancing. When we look at what's happening in the Doyle, when there's only a small amount of TDs left in the Doyle at any given time for a very small amount of time. Um, and they, they all seem to be more than two metres apart too. It's more than two metres apart. And now it seems that the government are prepared to abandon the two-metre rule to, uh, to allow all students to go back. I can't see how it's two metres rule up to now and that that is going to be abandoned. I can't see how classes of primary school children, some up to 39 in the class, can have social distancing in small classrooms. Yeah. It cannot happen. I, I speculated on this happen. last week, uh, live on air, that uh, the two, two metre will go to one metre. Uh, for without it, you can't open such things as the pubs. And without the confidence of going into a, a pub and looking, or something like that, and looking at your own elected representative staying 20 feet apart, um, what confidence will there be in parents sending their children to school without well, these measures? I, I'm nervous about going to school. I know some of your contributors on Friday have young children go back to school and they're right to be nervous. They're right to be nervous. This, this virus has not gone away. And one of the problems initially, in the initial period of the, the pandemic was there was anecdotal evidence coming out of some countries that young people were not affected. Now, I know from my own family circumstances, two of my niece nieces contracted it, one was only mildly affected, and the other girl in her early 30s was seriously in hospital for over 11 days. Wow. And I'm not asking for most of that. That's the reality. And if by ringing up the programme today, I can get the message across to young people, is that you young people are affected, You they do become seriously ill, a lot of them, and some of them have died. Yes. You're not immune from this. And if there's Young students come back into CIT, UCC, or the colleges of further education. My advice to them is do not go to parties and come into college because you're running the risk of putting your own lives at risk, those of your family, fellow students, and staff members. I'm in favour of wearing, compulsory wearing of face masks in secondary schools and in third level institutions. And I think that's the only control measure in which we, which could be introduced that will provide some degree of certainty and safety for staff and students returning in September. All right, Eamon. Well said. Uh, some very good points in there. I must take a break for news at 10, but thank you for coming on the programme. Cheers. Thank bye-bye. The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco. Save time and shop online. Simply log on to tesco.ie. Six minutes past ten. This is Mick Mulcahy uh, in for Neil Prendival for the week. Neil returning, of course, after the bank holiday uh, this coming, uh, well, tomorrow week, I suppose, Tuesday. one eight five zero one zero four one zero six is our number. You can text us or WhatsApp us on 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. Had lunch with some friends yesterday, one of them a secondary school teacher uh, in geography, and she said we have had no communication whatsoever from school, from government, from anything and are awaiting with bated breath uh, what is released today uh, by Minister for Education, Norma Foley. Uh, Also had a discussion over the weekend with uh, some parents of a child who had, uh, well, not a child, I suppose, he's kind of grown up now, but he had an idea, uh, and they asked me would I mention it on the air and see what people would think, that we actually lock down each and every county, open up everything, open up the schools, open up the pubs, open up everything. Uh, and allow people to take collective, joint and individual responsibility for their own sanitation, for their own uh, respiratory uh, protection, and all that kind of thing. And then if we have a hotspot, let's say it happens in Louth or in Leitrim or in, even, in, even in Cork, then the entire county gets locked down. 
uh, but we can regionalise the uh, the response as the British government did for an example, Leicester. Uh, so I wonder how that would play. If you have any uh, comments on it, one eight five zero one zero four one zero six or text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Make every uh, county like an independent state, if you like, uh, and responsible for keeping its own house in order. Good morning, Robert. Morning. Now, uh, we're still on the subject of schools, and, and you want to talk in particular, we have to transport kids to and from school as well. And there's a myriad of ways that they can do that. They can walk, they can cycle, they can get mummy or daddy to drop them, or they can go on public transport or, or dedicated school transport. Yeah. Um, well, it's not just a transport issue. And if you read what was reported in the Irish Times this morning, that uh, basically the government are going for a full reopening of schools, uh, so my son's school has about 600 uh, students in it um, and they were a high-risk family um, and there is absolutely no possible way I can send my son to school in September. Um, now, my my wife has a, a very severe form of asthma. Um, she's on extremely strong medication. Uh, her asthma is uncontrolled at times. She's had a number of severe asthma attacks this year already. Uh, so the idea that um, the virus would end up in our household is not an option for us um, because I hate to think what would happen to her if, if the virus came into the household. Um, so the idea of sending my son into an incubation chamber with 600 other kids, um, you know, is just not an option. And we're not the only family here that... Um, you know, is a high-risk household. Like, you know, the number of teachers uh, that would have medical conditions, the number of uh, young adults and teenagers that would have medical conditions, and, you know, the number of parents that have medical conditions where getting this virus is not an option, um, you know, is, is, is a reality. Um, and the amount of people that, you know, friends and, and neighbours and things that, that I've talked to that basically, you know, are still cocooning or, you know, limiting what they do on a daily basis to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, we're not just, I'm not just living in, in a sort of fantasy world here. It's, yes, so, so, some it's, of your words there, some of your words there, Robert, mm-hmm. offer an interesting juxtaposition, if you like, uh, where getting the virus is an actual reality, but it's not an option. Yeah, um, and like, look, I can understand the government's position of, of trying to, control the number of cases that come through hospitals and not to overwhelm the hospitals and things like that. Um, but, you know, when, it, when, it's, when it's that critical that, you know, a virus is either going to kill you or it's going to debilitate you and, and you know, basically finish any sort of quality of life, then, you know, you've, you've got to avoid it at all possible costs. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that sort of feel, okay, you know, it's like the flu, we'll get over and things like that. That's, that's, that's fine. Um, but, you know, there's the, the a huge portion of the population that, like us, uh, are medically vulnerable and there's, there's no possible way we can get it. So going back to school in the current form of everybody goes back to school is, is not an option. And I'm actually appalled that the Department of Education have had four and a half months and this is the best they can come up with. Yeah, it's, it's not been fully released yet, and let's give Norma Foley the benefit of, of, of that doubt until later on today. But uh, cocooning for you guys, now co- an element of cocooning has been in everybody's life since the restrictions uh, were enforced or were suggested, uh, Robert. I mean, the most most people would have been doing it was getting one family member to go to the shop at one stage. Um, but cocooning for you guys in your family uh, and in your family unit must have been a different reality, was it? And still is, probably. Yeah, 
It, it still is. Um, I, you know, we, we um, basically don't go to shops. Um, like, uh, we, we, we do our shopping online every week through our local Super Value, very, very good to us, and, and, and Tesco's. Um, you know, there, there has been the occasional visit to a shop, and, and it's actually, you know, the anxiety levels of actually going to a shop, um, you know, is uh, very difficult to deal with. Um, and, you know, we're wearing masks and, and taking every possible precaution we can get. Um, the, our two sons who are living with us, um, like, you know, they are staying, you know, outdoors, um, you know, in, in, in the things that they're doing. Um, they've limited their contacts to, you know, the minimal number of friends. Um, and, you know, even my 15-year-old came home one day quite upset that he'd gone out to meet one friend and suddenly, you know, a gang of friends had turned up. He came straight home. He couldn't um, actually, you know, stay out with them because he felt unsafe. Um, so it's been very difficult. Um, but, like, you know, we've made the best of it. And, you know, um, we've worked from home. We've studied, you know, the, the boys have studied from home. And, you know, we're prepared to continue to do that. Like, you know, I will ensure my son gets an education this year, but it's going to be a very different form of education because there's no way he can go back to school. Yeah, I suppose it is your parental obligation to give your child the best education possible. And and should you deem that to be from home in safety, then so be it, I imagine. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's, um, you know, you look, you're looking at sort of what some of the other countries are doing. And, and you know, obviously, you know, you look at the United States where... Um, you know, obviously, you know they've, they've a significant higher number of caseloads than, than than we do, and, and and are struggling. But you know, some of the states are you know at this stage very much looking at a, a sort of a blended learning or an at-home learning system. You know, where they can deliver you know vir- virtual virtual delivery of, of education, and um, you know that sort of idea where you know if if my son could go to school one day a week and be in a very small pod. Um, where you know social distancing is actually possible and, and, and strict conditions are put in place, then yes, maybe he could go to school one day a week and do the rest online. But you know, the suggestion from the from the the news uh, papers this morning that no hasn't even been considered. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, would, would that be your ideal element of blended learning? That perhaps maybe two half days a week your son would uh, avail of the integration that's often needed for cognitive development and for friendships at that level and, and go into school, the virus and dangers notwithstanding. Uh, but that all of the school classes would be broadcast online. It's just that there would only be maybe 5 or 10% of the, of the, of the children uh, belonging to a class physically together at any one time and, and have a kind of a rotation yeah. method. Yeah, literally, like, you know... Um like he could be put, if he went to school one day a week or two half days a week, he could basically be in a class with, you know, four others and a, and a teacher. Um, and it could be the same four others every week. And, and that's controllable. And, and um, it means sort of the, um, like, you know, you imagine a, a class of, of 20 or 25, like, you know, one of them sneezes and the whole class gets infected. And I think, you know, I'm not overreacting here. That, that's the that's reality. Um, so, I, I, I suppose, as a, as a suggestion, Robert, you, you, you would probably like to find the families uh, of the children your son goes to school with who have been, you know, maybe at, at higher risk and have been cocooning more, you know, more than a normal family would. Yeah, I, I think sort of there is a solution here. And, and if the government aren't going to come up with a solution, then, you know, I, I'm sure there is... 
teachers out there that will not be going into back into the classroom that would be willing to provide online learning and I'm sure there's a lot of families out there that will not be sending their children back to school that would avail of online learning and if we put the two together we actually have a solution even if the Department of Education and the schools aren't prepared to do anything okay. for us. Fair, fair enough Robert. Yeah I appreciate your position uh, it's been a long restrictive time for you guys but uh, you've come through it okay uh, as you say contracting COVID-19 is not an option. Yep. Okay thanks a million for your call. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, bye-bye. Let's go to Colin on line four. Hi, Colin. Hi. Now, you're on about online learning, and that means less teachers, of course. Yeah, absolutely, because one teacher can cover so many different classes. They don't need to be limited to the 25, 26 classes that are optimal. And they can teach numerous classes, and they can actually be, the programs and the teaching can be recorded, so kids can do actually their homework at night. You know, we could actually send them out to work if we wanted to do that. But yeah, yeah. But I, I, t- I take your point. But uh, what, what about a teacher just fulfilling the full time role and having that broadcast with uh, a section of the class physically attending every day, and and most of the class not being there? But that's the typical Irish solution to the Irish problem. You know, even though it's a worldwide problem. You know, we either go online learning fully, or we go back to school fully. I really don't see any advantage in having children going back and forward mm-hmm. to school a couple of days a week. You know, I mean, the facilities are there for online learning. But do we need it? And if we do, then we don't need all the teachers we have. Okay. It's a fair point. Uh, now, the, the news, of course, today, and do you want to comment on something that was on the news today, uh, has been full of this. This, I would venture, is... I won't say a political hot potato just yet, but this is something the government will need to show decisive leadership on and and give comfort to the parents uh, and the children as well, I suppose, to an extent around around this country, uh, that we're going to get this right, it's going to be safe, uh, and we're going back, and uh, everything will be okay because we have the measures in place. Well, we have. The problem is we don't know about them yet because the government haven't announced them, although there are news media outlets who will tell you that they have them. They're reporting the news that isn't the news as if it is the news. And it gets very complicated. It causes problems. It causes friction that's unnecessary. People get worried because they read something online or in the news that isn't actual fact. It's Donald Trump's fake news, actually. Well, there's a lot of, I, I suppose, things are strategically leaked to certain elements of the press to soften up the public. Um, children will face staggered breaks and divided play yards. Uh, that's one of the options. Masks required on student buses, but optional for lessons is another little sneak peek at it. And the minister will get a 300 million euro budget to ensure COVID-19 compliance. Only four weeks, though, uh, to initiate and complete all of these measures. Lunch, lunch breaks are going to be staggered. Pupils only able to mingle in the yard with their own classmates under new rules which will be set out today by the government. And primary school children will be sectioned off into pods of between four and six pupils in classes and separated by at least a metre from their classmates. Now, there's a tacit admission already that we're going to be doing away with two metres. Um, well, I suppose that they've always said that the, the younger kids are not as much at risk as uh, senior citizens. And the WHO says one and a half metres at a minimum. So there are countries where it is down to one metre, as far as I remember. Yes, there is. 
So, you know, why should we be absolutely uh, constricting ourselves by sticking to two metres in classes? The creches are back uh, with pods. You know, sensible workplaces are having pods. You know, a pod is a new way of life. Yeah. You have family pods. You will have school pods. You will have work pods. You'll have cross-pollination at some stage, I suppose, but the... It, it doesn't make any real problems, and, and people can stay within their own little pod. Uh, it'll make social interaction for the children a lot more difficult. Games, you know, you just have your own game pod. But we're not getting a great example then from the sports. No, the, the, even even, look, even looking at the uh, even looking at the Man United game yesterday, they're 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 yeah. all up close and personal and hugging each other again. That's it. And some of the staff on the touchline have masks and some don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a big part of our school future for our school children and for secondary and third level is going to be in sanitation and hygiene. There is going to be a huge, huge focus on cleaning regimes. Because remember, a lot of these people are not only sharing the same space, they're sharing the same equipment. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, how many times have you... Or I remember as a kid, you'd bring home a pen or something, you'd, you'd sit down to do your homework, and you'd go, oh, that's not mine, where did I get that from? Mm-hmm. You know, kids pick up things. Kids are inquisitive. And uh, the equipment, even down to the smallest pencil, you know, someone breaks the lead on their pencil, how do they... They don't have a pair, or so they borrow one from the kid next door, that goes home. You know, I mean, it's a whole new ball game we're into. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if kids as young as four or five are, you know, mandated to... Uh, to absolutely compulsorily carry their own hand sanitizer. I think it's going to be a good time to be in the hand sanitization business. Well, I know any time we came back from uh, the States, we always visited Bath and Body Works beforehand to get the little hand sanitizer bottles, which we always gave to our grandkids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they took them to school. They had them tied on to their stack. And uh, they loved them. They loved the smells. It became a natural thing for them to do it. It's, a, it's a going to be a whole new ball game. We'll get some further insight into it today with the release of the official government document, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it again uh, on tomorrow's programme. But for now, thanks a million, Colin, for your contribution okay, to the programme today. Care. Thanks a million. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Just a little bit of housekeeping. I did get that figure wrong about the Super Juniors. Uh, Donegal Lira was right. It's 124,000, uh, not 134,000. So my apologies for that. But when you add the uh, new 16,288 euros to it, it brings it up to around 100. And 40,000. Uh, and just to confirm as well that the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, uh, of course, from Cork South Central, will join us on the programme tomorrow. OK, so it won't be today, uh, but Michael has confirmed he will come on the programme from tomorrow. A social welfare crackdown by text. Uh, Noel says technically they're within their rights to stop social welfare payments because while on holiday and in quarantine, those people are not available for work. However, I'm not saying I agree with this. Maria says it's a level of control that's getting scary the only reason they're on the payment is because the government took away their jobs. It feels like every day we've less and less freedom. And Eddie says, none of this would have to be worried about if our corrupt politicians shut down the airports and let the people who cannot afford to lose out on the money they paid for the holidays before losing their jobs. 
This has nothing to do with the spread of the virus because if it had, they would stop countries that are destroyed with the COVID from entering Ireland. This is our shambles of a government. They are trying to control people and stop them from going abroad and put their hard-earned money back into the economy. To the people that agree with this because you think your taxes are paying for these people's holidays, up onto yourselves because it might be you soon enough without the jobs and you could be depending on COVID payments. Worry about your own lives and let other people worry about theirs. Uh, and Ashley says, this is absolutely fair because people paying taxes just for other people to use the money to go on their holidays is ridiculous. If they have the money for holidays, then they don't need the unemployment benefit. It's simple. So a very polarised opinion on this today. You can text in on 0868104106 or WhatsApp indeed. I'll do one final one. Neov says the divide and conquer is gaining momentum. Not everyone will leech to the system. The COVID payment went to people who lost their jobs from March onwards. So they were working people like the rest of us who lost their jobs to no fault of their own. As a directive to close the airports has not yet been given, these people would lose everything they paid for their holidays. They are coming home to a 350 uh, a week, uh, 350 euro a week. It's not a lot. Please have some compassion. Back with more calls and comments in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Coming up on 26 minutes after 10. Good morning. This is Mick Mulcahy. Jason, hi. How are you? Hi, Mick. How's it going? Good. No, you heard a little bit of a woman being interviewed Friday morning who was being scammed by a company charging her for texts. Yeah, I only hear, like, I was getting the kids breakfast at the time, so I was only kind of heard a bit of it there. No, I think she said that there was a, a text came in from, like, a, a supermarket or something Yeah, like Catherine, that. That yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, basically, um, I noticed my... Uh, my uh, bills there last year getting a bit high and, you know, I thought it was just the kids using YouTube or something like that, like just going outside of the allowance, you know. Mm-hmm. So started looking at the, the bills then and I saw this text number come up. It was a five-digit number and uh, it was like two uh, euros here and there. And, you know, when I went through the bills there for the previous year, it added up to about 470 euro. What? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't notice it like bit by bit, but this is the way that they, they operate anyway. So I cast my mind back to something about a year ago, anything unusual anyway, and there was a text of uh, they were using uh, super value anyway as a, uh, a, a hook, I suppose. It's, it and like, it's not uh, just super value. I've seen all of the major supermarket multiples being used. Yeah, well, this particular one that I can remember anyway was definitely super value. So anyway, I got onto the company. Uh, I basically tracked that company. I just I keyed in the, the five-digit number into Google there. I went on to various forums, and there was a bunch of people talking about this company in particular. And went back to that company, uh, followed the steps that uh, a lot of the people had followed previous and stuck to my guns. Um, so... You know, I said, look, I never subscribe for anything like this. Oh, when you reply to a text, that's uh, taken as you're subscribing now. So that's... It, you know, it is if you if you read the small print. But the, yeah. the, you know, the call to action, as they call it, the, the marketing people call it. What's the call to action? Uh, respond to this text and claim your prize. That's not written in small print. That's written in big print. Yeah, exactly. Look, it, it, anyway, I stuck to the guns and uh, got the money back in the end. You know, like first off, they were offering me a hundred euros, and you know, one of these things. I would go away and talk about it with a supervisor, come back to you. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, there's a company there, the Comms Regulator, the, the Comrec. Uh, you can Google it anyway, but uh, it might help some other people as well. That's the reason they missed. Uh, oh, always mention Comrec because they're that's that's the one thing they're scared of. 
Yeah, it is, yeah. So basically, you go to Comreg, and Comreg are well used to this now, so they'll give you a ticket number, like a six-digit number or whatever like that, and they'll give you a date, let's say, three, four weeks down the line, and they said, if you can't resolve it with the company, by this date, we'll investigate. So... The guys were trying to fob me off with 100, 200, and, you know, they were kind of holding tough until about three days to go. And I said, look, forget about it now, lads. Just we'll wait for the comic to sort it out. And then two days to go till the case number came up, uh, full refund. Wow. It was okay. the, the bones of 500 euros, so it's no laughing well, matter. Worth, worth fighting for, but sad that you have to fight for it. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, the thing is, like, I just investigated through Google, went on forums where people were talking about their cases, and they all said, look, anybody who got restitution from it, uh, they just stuck to the guns and wait for the comrades thing to, to, to sort it out. So you just threaten them with that, really, and that's the only thing that gets them. But obviously, a lot of people won't do the investigation, and they'll kind of just roll over and, and take it. But, you know, maybe there's a few people listening. I, 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 I hasten to clarify that this isn't really, this isn't super value trying to get the money back from. No, absolutely. Look, they, they were using it as a, like, it's like a fishing attack or something. Like, you know, they they, they just uh, use that as the hook, like, obviously with the Irish market, you know, it's a local thing. And, and obviously without super value's permission. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, so they're just, they're just operating under their guys, you know, but it's just to, to hook people in thinking, oh, yeah, you know, it's a familiar company fit familiar face, you know, like to, yeah. so they'd be more likely to respond to it than something like Tesco, you kind of, you know, you you wouldn't think of Tesco straight away as... Kind I, of I've seen, I've seen know, more Tesco way. ones than I've seen of anything else, and it really is brand abuse, because these companies work very hard to build their brand, you know, the way yeah. Tesco says every little helps, and then and they have a certain marketing direction, and, and this cheapens the brand and, and takes from Tesco. So I, I don't know why they haven't legally stamped it out. Yeah, there's obviously a way that they're getting away with it anyway. But um, you know, the, the, I, I suppose you follow the money in the end of it. Like you know, like I just got a five-digit number to go on that was on my bill, and uh, I just googled that five-digit number, and they led me on to the next step and the next step, and I just saw people discussing it, and the people who. Uh, who got the restitution in the end was the people who just uh, yes, went to the comrade and just used that threat. I, I suppose well, the information that we've gathered uh, through all of these things is that when you get uh, a random text coming in from a well-known brand saying you want something with them, read the small print before you reply because you're giving them permission to charge you two euros a week or possibly two euros a month or whatever. But it's, it's going to cost you in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's something that you'd always be wary of, but then when you have a local company, something like that, like uh, that will be their kind of hook, you know? Yeah. Okay, thanks a million. Thanks for that, Jason. No Cheers. Thanks, bye-bye. Just to go back to the uh, number of travellers coming into this country uh, by air, on the 29th of June to the 5th of July, there was 25,723 people. Uh, from the 6th of July to the 12th of July, there was 31,924 and it's getting bigger from the 13th of July till the 19th of July. So we're kind of looking at last week there. We had 41,229. Let me break that one down. In first place, UK. Uh, 13,081 people came from the UK. From Spain, which is a COVID hotspot, we had 5,747. From Poland, 2,621. From the Netherlands, 2,041. From France, uh, also not on the green list, 2,257. From Germany, 2019, another COVID hotspot. From Portugal, we had 1,865 people arriving in here. From the USA, the biggest COVID hotspot in the world, 
We had 1,135 people arriving from Italy, uh, which may be over the worst of its COVID, but still has a pretty high incidence of it, I would say. 1,409 visitors and from Romania, 1,079. Just goes to show you the amount of people who are coming in. And when it comes to air, we also had uh, a statement from Ryanair regarding uh, what was seen to be a Ryanair scam last week. And we'll bring that one to you as well, because they have come back to us. Uh, we detailed uh, a scam, in, in, not involving Ryanair, but surreptitiously uh, involving Ryanair. And uh, we'll give you the uh, the statement right here and now. Ryanair has become aware of a scam on social media, whereby fake accounts are trying to charge its customers to access their refunds. Ryanair is warning customers to beware of fake social media accounts that are trying to separate them from their money. Ryanair will never charge its customers to process a refund and is encouraging people to only go to Ryanair.com or to contact its customer service team to inquire about their refund. But Ryanair being the victim of its own success, when you often, when you look up Ryanair, surreptitiously, there are two or three or four advertised sites above the official Ryanair.com site. So always make sure that you are in the correct site, okay, and that it's Ryanair.com uh, and, um, you know, scroll down until you get to the Ryanair.com because the others are paid for advertising, which brings you into different sites all together. Uh, now we have uh, one month into uh, Michal's Mar- uh, Michal Martin's leadership and to discuss that on uh, line two we've got Siobhan O'Connor who's a columnist with the Irish Mirror. Good morning Siobhan. Hi Nick, how's it going? I'm very good. Now we're a month into the new leadership and you say you're already pining for the t-shirt <laughs> who rocked a topless bod in Phoenix Park. Oh, you know, I mean Leo the Lion, I think he has said hello when he went back and declare that he's going to work on the front line. I mean, he's the master of spin, isn't he? And I suppose he's my age, and I mean, for somebody so young to get so far on, on the ladder of politics anyway, I was impressed from the get-go. But I think during the whole pandemic with his, you know, speeches, quoting The Terminator, you know, quoting various movies, I think he just kind of made it all rock and roll. And because he's a doctor, I think we felt it in safer hands, you know? So now we've got Hall and God bless him, I just, my heart goes out to him. I mean, he's just, he just doesn't have the charisma and faith that Leo does. Uh, but he, Michal would be probably much more conservative, shall we say, than, than, than Leo. Uh, you know, Michal, yeah. Michal is a family man. That's not to say that, that Leo isn't. But of course, Leo Varadkar was our first openly gay Irish leader. Uh, and he, you know, you're saying he had us at hello. <laughs> in your in in your article, his father was a doctor or a, a doctor from Bombay. Uh, his mother a nurse from Waterford. So you think he would be inanely capable of uh, of handling? Uh, and not everybody has to handle a pandemic, but he he did so with a certain panache and style. But you're comparing him to Hugh Grant and Notting Hill. Come on, like I am. I just think you know that scene where Hugh Grant is dancing around at the office. I can imagine Leo doing something similar. I mean, who rocks a hot bod, topless, leading a country and like you know does it with pride? And you know, I just feel that he's one of these individuals who, whatever he does, whatever he touches, turns to gold. Um, and I, I miss sort of the panache of him. Now, not to say Miho won't do a good job. But Milo won't go into spin doctors. He won't go in for that rubbish. And I suppose in a way for him, he feels that he doesn't need it. And he wants to go, as you said, conservatively. Uh, he's more. He looks like he's more of a hard grafter. But that doesn't always get to the top 
you know, I know he's at the top now, but in the, the, the top of the public consciousness, I think we liked the bit of rock and roll. We liked the bit of the sort of, you know, the movie-esque way that Leo was going on. We liked the bit of spin. We liked the bit of glamour because right now we're lacking that in so many ways. We want the bit of glitz and glam and we're just not getting it with poor old Michal at the moment. I mean, fair play to me, he's a family man. He's due to his own rhubarb. You know, I know he's, he's a very he's a lovely man, but if you think about how he operates, it took him 33 seconds when he was interviewed by uh, Ivan Yates back in February to answer in one word what he made of Leo, and he said... That was a sucker punch now. <laughs> he, he, got, he really got caught off guard in that one when, when Ivan Yates said, describe Leo Varadkar, uh, who was Tishik at the time, in, in, you know, in one word. Uh, and eventually, after 30 whatever seconds or so, we all came with the word spin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it took him 32 seconds of him, like, hemming and hawing. And he almost looked embarrassed, which, because, you know, now the capture on video on VT as well. So we thought, if you look back at the video, it's just the poor man. I just feel he doesn't have the sort of gravitas that we're looking for in a leader. Now, trust me, I could be wrong, you know, but, like, I, for, for me, I feel almost all the damage that was done was almost forgotten with Leo during the pandemic. You know, we suddenly forgot about the housing crisis. We We had a housing crisis, we had a homelessness crisis, we had a major, major ongoing, forever ongoing health crisis and and suddenly Simon and um, Simon Harris, that is, and and, and Leo took to the fore, ably, of course, assisted by the wonderful Tony Houlihan uh, and and everyone seemed to be placated, if you like, that these guys know what they're doing uh, and and are in charge. Are you saying that doesn't exist now? I I think that you know Leo is sort of like Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman, and, and like Michal is more like Steve Coogan in The Alan Partridge, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> comedy. I like to be honest with you, he looked a bit lost in Brussels with the mask on, Michal, but he's only starting, and he's taken over an incredibly difficult terrain. I'd say Leo the Lion got out in time with the showman hat on him and he's gone. Like, I know he's obviously tall, she said, but he doesn't have that major kind of, you know, on his shoulders right you'd, now. You'd often wonder, if, if Sinn Féin put up double the candidates, they'd probably be in government now. If Leo Varadkar didn't call the election, because he didn't have to do it till May, and we were mid-pandemic, the whole rules would have changed. He would have been attacking the electorate from a position of some care and power and confidence. Uh, so if he called the election late, uh, Fianna Gael might still be in power. So you never know. You never know, but I mean, with this whole coronavirus thing, like, you know, what's going to happen next? Whoever, like, Michal, even though I, I don't think he's got the, the charisma, obviously, as Leo, I do think he's got a very tough gig now, but he seems to be into it because he's, he's a bit serious, like, isn't he? <laughs> but maybe that's what we need now. I mean, Michal now has climbed the lofty heights. He's at the top of Mount Everest now, politically, uh, in Ireland. So, really, it's time for the politics to be over and, and serious decisions made now. Uh, and affected to bring the country forward. Well, we're not. We're not going to see you know Leo with our. We're not going to see Michal with his top off anytime soon, are yes, we? Yes, you so, will. Yeah. Yes, you will. When he every, every year when he when he goes in in the water, Christmas Day in Court McSherry or New Year's Day oh, or, or whenever it is. We should be there with our camera. <laughs> you, you you might be. Um, now I I know Michal's made no secret of his disdain for the PR spend uh, that Leo had. Now, when you compare Leo to Enda Kenny, Leo uh, apparently, allegedly, was spending 110 times more money on PR and spin than Enda Kenny. But isn't Michal just dishing it out to his chums now at the top table? That's so true. I mean, the thing about it is, I, I don't know, like, Enda was a gas man. I met him one time for a photo call, and, like, the sort of, the way you have to act around these the Taoiseach, you, you feel like they're like royal when you're kind of associating with them. 
And I think they all do their PR in a different way. I mean, I was doing a photo shoot for some charity. I can't remember what it was. I really should. Like 10 years ago. And he was dying to get into the pics, you know. So they all have their own little ways of doing their PR. And if Leo spent all that money on that, well, then he wasn't spending it on something else. So the money's going to go somewhere. It's all going to be allocated. So like, maybe Mion needs to spend a bit of money on PR for himself. You, yeah. know, you, you, you say in your article that uh, Mr. Martin is a family man who likes uh, to meet his mates in the local for a few pints. We hear that's the height of his social circle, you say. I've enjoyed his company over a few beers. He's a very engaging and, and very honest and forthright character. Uh, I think he'll make a good teacher. Uh, I know when, when speaking to Neil Penderville on this show, uh, he, uh, he, he certainly, uh, Neil certainly put him to the pin of his collar. The questioning was quite tough. Uh, but these guys, they're years at it. They're, you know, they're world-class political <laughs> operatives now when it comes to media. Come here to me, Mick. Are you, are you one of the, one of his mates? No, I wouldn't call. I, I, the, the I had, I had beer with Mihal Martin. Uh, no, let me see. 11, 10, 11, 12 years ago. 12 oh, years ago. So, and, and so no, I, I wouldn't be one of the current mates, but uh, obviously we'd know each other to nod and say hello to. Well, he's not going to be like, you know, sending Kylie love letters, as I said in the piece. But, you know, each to their own. Um, we're, we're, it'll all unfold now. You'll see. Uh, how somebody who kind of disdains the PR will, will go for the country. Uh, I do think currently we, we, we will miss a bit of rock and roll because the pandemic has kind of crushed our spirits. So we do, I think I just had a secret kind of crush on Leo. Although oh, but hang on, a, s- <laughs> sending a grovelling love letter uh, as a gay T-shirt to Kylie Minogue, I wouldn't call that rock and roll now. Oh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. The fact that he don't share that and the fact that he open, openly admitted that he was doing um, in those speeches recently that he, he was like quoting movies and he was saying what's wrong with that just like poetry as well like this you know the opposition he was saying it like you know it was quite snobbish of them to think that was a bit ridiculous what he was doing where did you get this thing about Hall Martin um, reportedly loving to do uh, traditional things shunning the limelight in favour of domestic bliss with hobbies rumoured to include stewing his own rhubarb yes we heard that that rumour um, but I think that's that is cool I love I love the you know the cottage industries and bring them all back um, and you know obviously he likes to do that he doesn't like to you know mix his social circles like Leo did but at the same time that's just showcasing a different personality you know different strokes for different folks but they're completely chunk and cheese and um, I, I think you know we'll see how it unfolds now with Michal but you're saying he's a bit of crack let's hope you're right Nick I'm saying he's a bit of crack and he's made no secret for the fact that he's no time for vacuous spin doctors so that, that gives me some semblance of hope uh, because that's that's wasted money. If, I mean, that's wasted money if there ever was one. Uh, and uh, as you say in your article, maybe the public will appreciate a more down-to-earth leader at this stage who knuckles down and keeps his private life away from the spotlight, doesn't go in the Phoenix Park and strip off and, and <laughs> do whatever. I know, I'm not being disingenuous to Leo, but there was a couple of... Th- I mean, the, qu- the quotations from the movies... Uh, oh, I, I I, that gave us all a bit of a laugh, though. We really needed it at the time. And, you know, when you can kind of mix politics with a bit of comedy, I think it's great. People are I dying. The, the, the frontline workers, they're suffocated from wearing PPE. And, and he's quoting a, a line from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I think they, the, peop, the, the frontline workers wanted a bit of, like, reprieve from what they were dealing with. And they, you know, I think he was excellent during the whole thing. And dedicating an entire day per week. I know people thought that was spin as well, but he was actually working on the front line. So, to me, he's an absolute hero. Okay. So, you'd love to see, and of course, there will be an impending return of Leo Varadkar in two and a half years' time. Mm-hmm. You and never know. I mean, yeah. Unfortunately, Siobhan, you may have to, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, you may have to deal with a couple of more Cork Taoiseach after that in the, in the likes of Michael McGrath and um, Simon Coveney because it looks like, <laughs> it, it looks like they're both heir apparent uh, to their respective parties. 
God, I love the Rebel County. It's not just because Leo's from Dublin, you know, but he is. He, he demonstrated a lot of heroic hero qualities during COVID-19, um, during the height of the pandemic, and I just think we have this real sense of safety in his arms, you know? Okay, I need to read you a couple of texts before you go. Leo has all the charisma of a bag of crisps. I'm mortified for that girl on the radio with you, Mick. Oh, there, there's one. Here's another one. That woman's attitude is everything that's wrong with politics. Politicians are not meant to be celebrities. They're meant to work for the people paying their wages. I don't care about charisma. I care about politicians who knowingly lie to the citizens of this country, who are treating us like mushrooms by looking after their pals. I care about women like Ruth Morrissey and Vicky Phelan. Not one of them can hold their water, as far as I'm concerned. Veradkar and Martin are two cheeks of the same backside and have treated the Irish people with utter contempt. And in one more, uh, I hope this doesn't offend you, Siobhan. Who is that millennial on the phone? OMG, totes emotion. I'm delighted that they're calling me a millennial. I'm so honored with that. But thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an interesting conversation. Siobhan O'Connor, uh, you, of course, you're, you are a writer and, and your, your scribblings can be found. You're a columnist with the Irish Mirror and people can check you out there as well. Thanks a million, Mick. Thanks a million, Siobhan. Thank you. Bye. Siobhan O'Connor, their columnist with the Irish Mirror. It's a quarter to 11. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at NeilRedFM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And I'm surprised we still have working equipment such as the deluge of texts and comments coming into uh, social media uh, and on our phone lines as well regarding that interview. Uh, Elizabeth says, of course, I'm pining for Leo. Alice says, what's the big difference between the two of them? Michal is the same as Leo spouting from Terminator and Bad Girl. Uh, the only difference, in my own opinion, is Leo's smugness, which I don't have to look at anymore. Louise says, I'm not a big fan of Leo, but I can't cope with Michal either. Aaron says, I'm more annoyed about this uh, than the... This, the curious case of Eamon Ryan and the Joint Chiefs. Uh, the Green Party leader is said to have up to eight special advisors. We always knew Hall would sell his soul to the devil just to be Taoiseach, says Aaron Breed. Uh, says, I'm not, uh, definitely not missing Leo at all. I'm glad he's gone. I'm delighted to have Hall there instead. Given a bit of time, I think he'll do a substantial and very good job. Tomas, Hall was part of the government uh, that destroyed our economy and light was about it. Uh, Antoinette says, it's quite tongue-in-cheek, I think Hall is making a great start. He's letting us know uh, us peasants aren't important enough to get a living wage, but upping the TD TD's wages by 16 grand. Uh, Eileen says, bring back Leo. Tony says, Leo conveyed more gravitas when making public pronouncements. William says, Mary Lou, where are you? Dave says, I'm wondering when the shinners will arrive. Dougie says, Michal makes my skin crawl. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Leo is the lesser of two evils. And Louise says, get rid of all three stooges. It's a poor performance so far, and I don't see it, see it getting any better. Thomas is on line one. Morning, Thomas. Hello, good morning, Mick. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You were enraged by uh, that uh, by Siobhan's interview. You think she'd rather a celeb or an actor as our leader? Yeah, well, well uh, I mean, enraged is a pretty strong word, but I couldn't really believe what I was hearing. Like, um, I was just out for a run, and like she seemed to to want uh, Hugh Jackman or bloody uh, somebody else to take over. Then, like thinking that Leo is all like uh, to, to be honest, I don't think you should be ever hearing from the Taoiseach only when there's real decisions made. Like these days, they're on the TV every day with interviews and people are expecting them to, you know, there's nobody getting through this crisis un unharmed, like so. I, I, ha I have to say, I, maybe it's just me, but I'd, I'd like to know what people would feel about this. I, I'm seeing much more of Leo on TV than I'm seeing of Hall. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, unless I mean, you know, unless he, he, has, like he has a love of the media. Pop culture, like I think, you know, nice smile and everything. And a, like, I, I just think he was... Um, like, for instance, I came back from Vietnam there in April because of this COVID. I had to come home. Um, I was there for eight years, and uh, it was kind of like lost my job one day. And 
like had to get out of there straight away because everything was closing. And when I came home, I had emailed a lot of t- like I emailed the T-shirts office over fifty to sixty times. Uh, didn't get one response because um, I was stuck in Dublin with no money, no place to go, nothing. Uh, the only person that responded to me, I, I, I mean, I emailed a lot of Sinn Féin TDs, lots of uh, Fianna Gael TDs. The only office that got back to me was Michal Martins, and that was before he was Taoiseach. I mean, um, like people could say that Leo was busy or whatever, but surely they have um, secretaries and stuff to take care of queries that are online and emails and stuff. Um, All right, Thomas, but uh, look, it is what it is. Uh, Siobhan wrote a very nice piece in the... Uh in the mirror, and we said we'd have a chat with her about it. She seems to be dwelling on the uh, the kind of celebrity things, though. You know, the movie quotes and the the, the hot rocking yeah, bod I think in she the Phoenix get a Park. Job with the... e, e or something, you know. Like, <laughs> I, th- I don't think anybody should be hearing from their Taoiseach and quoting this and quoting that. All, all I want to hear when the Taoiseach is making important decisions, and that that's it. Let him go to work. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to be hearing from them every oh, day. And what, what you want from a Taoiseach is, is you want to know from a Taoiseach that he that he or she has got your back. That they're in control. That things will be fine, and, and they know what they're doing. They're getting the best advice, and they're not afraid to act on it. That's basically what you want from a Taoiseach. Exactly, and not yeah. down the park having a few cans. You know? <laughs> All right, Thomas. Thanks a million. Cheers. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prindeville now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six Red FM. Seven minutes past eleven. This is Mick Mulcahy. Good morning, Vera Toomey. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm good, girl. Good to talk to you again. Nice to talk to you too. That's a change, yeah. isn't it? I haven't been here for huh? six months. Well, I have actually. I've, I've, done, I've done two days for for a sad bereavement in, uh, in Neil's wife's family, the, the the loss of the beloved Kitty. Mm-hmm. I was there for two days, but uh, before that uh, is January since we spoke, I think. So always good to have you on, Vera. And of course, uh, you have been requesting help from the powers that be. You've had your own interactions with Simon Harris. Not sure how you stand on Veradker, uh, but you'd like to mm-hmm. come into the fray. You know this whole Veradker Martin changeover thing. Uh, what would you like to say? Well, I just, I just, I was just listening to the to you this morning, you know, and I just found that lady that came on. I just found it so nauseating that I just had to ring, you know, um, because I have, a, I suppose I've met Leo a couple of times, you know, and it was a an unremarkable experience I felt, and okay. uh, the thing that that's just my personal opinion, you know, but the thing is that. She came on and she she spoke about, you know, quotes from the movies and him with his shirt off in uh, in, in the park and so forth. But the thing is, Mick... Hardly I, activities that accentuate good leadership. No, I, I felt, I felt, and I, I, I said it to Mark before I came on, I have no interest in seeing Leo Radcliffe's Billy. I want to see progress on issues that are affecting our lives and, you know, other people are the same. And... I just thought, look, hearing that woman talking and with the experience of what Leo Varadkar and Simon didn't do for us because they didn't help us at all. And then on the other side, you, and I'd probably be castigated for saying this, but I don't care because they did help us. The people in Michal Martin's office and Michal himself were of such help to us and in fact, we're instrumental in getting us out of Holland for Christmas in 17 that I don't think mm-hmm. we would have been got brought home at all. Well, what, wasn't, know, wasn't it Michal, if I remember correctly, pushing Simon Harris on these issues for you? But he was, he was one of the people that was pushing very hard. And to be honest, we didn't have too many that were willing to stand up for us. And 
I just felt, Mick, you know, when somebody was decent enough to come out and help you, that I was going to ring and just say that just because somebody isn't out at the front of the queue shouting about the things that they're doing to help people, it doesn't mean that they're not doing something to help. Yeah, and we spoke to Pat Phelan this morning, and I, I know Roy Keane is in the same mould. There's so much stuff that goes on away from the glare of publicity that, that mark these people uh, as good, essential, good characters. Uh, not every uh, act of kindness needs a photographer or the paparazzi there to publicise it for you. No, no, and I just, I just kind of, I just got upset by what that woman was saying because, like, it's not about. It's it's not it's not about you know showing your chest hair in the park or drinking out of cans or movie quotes or that kind of carry on you know it's about actively helping people and doing something constructive you know and for those and who don't know your story Vera of course you were trying to source a legal and legitimate supply of medicinal cannabis to help the seizures seizures that were being uh, suffered by your daughter Ava. That's right, and you know it. It was it. It was, and to a certain degree, remains quite a, a, a controversial topic for a lot of people. So anybody that is willing to engage with you and to help you and to kind of get to know your situation and learn about the child in question and help, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. You know, and um, that that's just that that's just what what I felt about it. I. Mm. I thought giving airtime to uh, a woman like wh- what was what was the purpose of that piece that she wrote? It's, it, it's, I, 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 I suppose I you know when, when you look in, in the greater annals of literature, it's called a bubblegum piece. Right. Okay. Well, it's, it's meant I'm to be not. light entertainment, and the interview that I conducted with her was far light entertainment because she's she's obviously taking the, the facets of Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach uh, and, you know, taking the, the, the funnier, the light-hearted sides and saying that she really misses that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't miss it, Mick. I don't miss it at all. And uh, it, the, 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 the silliness and foolishness isn't maybe something that in these kind of times that we need very much of, is it? Maybe it's more stability and something more solid and some some a group of people that are working to get something done, like, you know, hopefully get the schools open in September so we can get the lads back to school. Absolutely. That, I mean? that's, that's something that's going to, from today, is, is going to need absolute decisive leadership and clarity to put the comfort in people's minds that it's going to be safe, not just for the yeah. children, but safe that they'll, that they'll not bring the disease or the, the virus home to any vulnerable adult as well. Stay with me a second, uh, Vera. Patricia, good morning. Thank you. Hi, Mick, how are you? I'm good, and you? <laughs> I'm great, not a bother. Love hearing Vera. Hi, Vera, how are you doing? Hi. Hello, how are you? Hi. I'm very good. I'm fangirling over you now, Patricia, or uh, Vera, because I read your book and it was just amazing. Oh, you are you. some woman, I'll tell you. You really are. Unbelievable. And I totally agree with you, Vera. Sorry, Mick, I'm not too good. Drive on, it's okay. <laughs> um, Vera, you're dead right. I mean, look, we don't need to be soon seeing something as belly over in Phoenix Park and he drinking out of a can. We need proper leadership. And I mean, this woman, girl, well, actually, she's a girl because she can't be a grown woman with life experience if she's talking no. about how she thought it was fabulous to see Leo's belly in, in Phoenix Park. You know what I mean? Yeah. We need proper leadership. And you are spot on, Vera. This is what this country needs now going forward. 
And while I personally wouldn't have voted for Micheál Martin, that's a separate issue. But I personally, as a grown woman with years of experience, like yourself, Vera, I feel we're in better hands now than what we were. Yeah, Yeah. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. I had to ring up Brenda and say it straight away. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad somebody does, which is just No, it's but it's true, Vera. I mean, she was she's obviously a very young girl. This this girl was on, and she definitely is a millennial. Well, she was happy because, to be called a millennial, which which gives me oh yeah. reason she, to believe she's not that she's older. She she is really, and I'll be honest with you. When she's gotten a bit of life experience under her belt, like Vera has and myself has, she mm-hmm. won't be too happy about being referred to as a millennial at all. Do you ever think of standing for yeah. election, Vera? Yes, Vera. Um, the Jared the, sure they they asked me all right, but but you're very your own woman. Like I mean, you, you, what what a leader you you are. You already are without being elected. Look at the the way the country got behind you and what you needed to look after Ava and all the rest of your family. I mean, you already have a, a you already have a leader's face and a leader's way about you. Oh God, I'll have to go off now. I can't take all these compliments. <laughs> I can't. I, I, would, you I run, would you run as an independent, Vera, not be under the whip of any party? If I was going to run, I'd say, Mick, that would be the only way I could run because I don't know would anybody put up with me as far as Or would you put up with them? <laughs> I don't think any of them would be good enough for you, Vera, now, to be fair. <laughs> I, I, I think when you have four children and you're hundreds of miles away from Dublin, I think it's a difficult um, it position for any woman to be in to, to do that job. I don't know whether... It would well, be, be very, it'd be very hard going, Vera. And let's say that you've already yeah. had plenty of hard road behind you, you know, so, yeah. And, and you're not thinking of all the travelling expenses, which ultimately qualifies you for the job, in my eyes anyway. Goodness gracious! Yeah, the, 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 the travel. Yeah, I mean, um, if, 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 if the, 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 the money. I believe they've been increased in their wages as well, haven't they? The, the yeah, money well, is the remarkable. Super, the super juniors, yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one of whom was rejected by her own electorate and and, and was suffering yeah. on sixty eight yeah. grand yeah. in the Senate, coming across now uh, and being yeah. topped up to one hundred and forty grand. Then that's for not being elected. I yeah. I stay at home and rear my children. I think that's what I better do. I I I don't I'd agree with you, Vera. So. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a million, guys. Thanks, Patricia, Thanks. and and thank you, Vera. Bye, Vera. And just just as well, make you know um about the school. If if anybody, hello. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, just just uh, if anybody is wondering about how Eva is getting on, um, she's done eleven days in a row, um. In uh, in her July provision in school, and uh, she's she she hated the lockdown, but that she's back to school, she's back to herself again. And how old is she now, Vera? She's ten. Ten. She's ten years. She's ten years now. She'd be eleven in November. And the seizures? And, uh, um, the seizures are sort of around the ninety-five to ninety-eight percent control. Like I wouldn't want to say a hundred percent. Yes. Which it's it it has remained constant, so that is that is that is big. That is a big deal. Um, but just with the school, I just really really hope that they're going to open the schools back up again because, like people like us, Sosha Habulik, we don't have the broadband, we don't have the coverage, we don't have anything to be able to upload, you know, schooling yeah. th- things and um, seesaw apps and all this kind of carry on. I just really hope they can get back to school because. Uh, to see the change in Ava going back to school, it was like she, 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 she just 
she came into herself again. Sure, I fully empathise with those who are feeling very worried about sending their children back, who cannot send their children back, uh, you know, who are in in sort of a lockdown situation still because, as one of our previous callers said, his wife has chronic asthma. Uh, It's it's not, it just isn't an option to get this this disease because many people, if they get it, they won't survive it. So they're still on their own self-imposed lockdown. And trying not to, not to bring the virus into the house. But I do also appreciate that kids need the cognitive development that comes from interaction, uh, physical, uh, you know, and as close as it can be, it has to be declared safe. They'll be in pods, they'll be in smaller groups. But I think they do need their friends as much as they need their physical face-to-face education. Like, we were very frightened about sending her back. And for a long time, we were saying that we wouldn't do the July provision. But it turned out to be the best decision to have sent her because she she absolutely missed that interaction. And I think that particularly a lot of uh, like people that have children like ours with special needs and, you know, they need extra attention. Um, they really miss the stimulation. And when you can't explain to them clearly, you know, why they're missing school, mm-hmm. they, they don't know what's happening. So to go back was... You know, I I just I just hope it'll I just hope it'll happen safely for everybody because it's been wonderful for her. Yeah, at, and at ten years of age, Navira, you know, her reasoning abilities must be you know they're developing at this stage. So, does she have any idea what Mum did for her? Um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so. I would I no no, and and that's that's okay, you know, um, because. We have a joke and a laugh, and uh, you know we have. Uh, she, she, she's. It's it's difficult to explain without meeting Eva, but she's so cute, she's so clever, and she's so funny, and she makes little jokes that like uh, that make us laugh, and she laughs, yeah. and it doesn't matter whether she doesn't know. It's it's grand that she doesn't know because she's there with us, and. You know, a smile from her and um, the the smile on her face going into school this morning, as when we'll collect her this afternoon. That's everything. That's Fantastic. all. Fantastic. And I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure Neil Prendival would love to have the both of you in here when it's safe to do so, just to say hello. Oh, that would be that that'd be very nice. You know, when 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 there's such time that we can all be together again, that that'd be lovely. You okay. know, there's yeah. a text yeah. I want to read out to you before I let you go, Vera. Great to hear Vera on the radio. I admire what she's done and her brave fight for her daughter's care and never gave up, even though the politicians tried to brush her off. Well done, Vera. Says Todd in Douglas. Oh, thanks. That's smashing. Good. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Th- thanks, Vera. Thanks a million. Okay. All the best to you now. Bye bye. Okay. Now, 20 past 11, coming up a very interesting topic on visors that were invented here in Cork and are designed to assist, especially in sports environments, in uh, keeping the virus at bay. And just to remind you as well, we will be talking to the Minister of Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, uh, on tomorrow's Neil Prendival Show. The Neil Prendival Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prendival Show coming up on 23 minutes past 11. Derek Sheehan joins us in line four. Good morning, Derek. Good morning, Mick. How are you? No, very good. Now, you have invented, or you came, let me, let's get back to the start. Your kids are mad GAA fanatics. They go out and they go hurling and football and all that kind of stuff. And you were wondering how uh, you could give them that little bit of extra protection as a parent uh, in and around the helmet area to stop them contracting the virus through, you know, respiratory, uh, you know, droplets of sweat or whatever as they play their love, their, their beloved GA activity. That's correct. So what, what idea did you come up with? Well, I suppose, Mick, we were just worried uh, for when our kids were going to go back uh, 
at training in matches that I, I suppose that they wouldn't contact or try to reduce reduce them from getting the COVID from the spread of the nose and the mouth. So we kind of came up with a visor that slots inside the helmet uh, from the nose down, covering the nose and the mouth. That surely can't fit all types of helmet, though, can it? There must be different designs and sizes. Well, yeah, we ran into a few difficulties because we were only making, myself and Fergus, uh, we were making for our own two kids, with a girl and a boy each, and their helmet different. And so we had to go in and kind of make up a second one for the different guards or different Okay, item. that's Fergus Tuig now from Valley Rovers Club in Cork. So you're, you're, you're big into right. GA. What, what happened once you made these successful prototypes for your own children? Well, I suppose to make it was later on we were asked to make another one or two by parents, mums and dads that had seen our kids with them, and we didn't we didn't think we better go ahead and kind of make a lot more of them and for the different guards. And it it just spiraled away from there. To be honest with you. Okay, so your your son and daughter were spotted wearing the visors at training, uh, and then kind of demand for the visors shot through the roof. Uh, you you had some national GA interest then as well, did you? From from top level. We did look. It's 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 with the GA at the moment uh, to push along, and we, we're after getting a very very positive feedback with it, and uh, we're after moving. Look, a lot of them, there's a lot of them being sent all over the country. They're after going to the UK. We're after sending some actually to New York also. Wow! So, uh, is, is there employment prospects here, Derek? Are you, are you going to employ people to manufacture them? Well, it's all local, cork based. Uh, we have they're being made blown from I and we all the packaging is sourced from Bandon and it's just all local stuff and we're hoping that if it keeps going that we're gonna give some of the kids that would have been in the cool camps. Uh I suppose the cool camps a lot of them have been stopped or aren't going ahead uh because of the swears. So we're gonna actually try taking on one or two of them for part time for the summer, just help me out with the packaging and the stuff. What, what's the prevalence of helmet wearing in, in young GA now? Is it, is it a mandatory thing, Derek? Yes, across the board. For head safety. Yeah, so so, so if there's 100% helmets, there's 100% chance of using a, a helmet visor successfully. Correct. And like I suppose since last Monday week, with, with, with all the masks coming in, it doesn't make much sense that you're wearing masks inside the shops and so forth. And here, here are two kids or any adults alike playing in the pitch and they're right alongside each other so and they can play safely not, not like the Man United guys hugging each other last night just hang on there Derek we've got Julie Middleton from Sticky Fingers which is a donut shop in Emmett Place hi Julie hi Mike how are you good now you've decided that visors were the way to go instead of masks so maybe Derek's product will interest you um, definitely yeah Yeah, a lot of kids would be nervous or scared of a mask a masked team member Exactly, that's that's exactly the point. We obviously, um, in the product that we sell, uh, donuts, so we would get a lot of children in and a lot of families, and they would be quite young children because we do Cookie Monster Donut. It's quite, you know, vibrant, it's blue and that, and a pepper ring with sprinkles, so they're obviously attracted to it. And if they saw the staff, we did have discussion with the staff um, before we reopened on the 3rd of July. Um, and, you know, a lot of children could be nervous or put off, even my own daughter's 15, and, you know, even she was a bit nervous. 
this actually to be honest you know, going into the city and that so we thought sizes were the way to go we had a discussion with the staff and obviously um, I think it's much better because you can see our faces as yes. well so they, they're used to us especially regular customers and just to make a point as well um, Nick, regarding the masks and visors we have several customers who um, would be hard of hearing and they'd be elderly and they often come in weekly for donuts for their grandchildren whether it's a treat to the mind them and they'd lip so read it, it, this, well, this is it. You know, you can speak slower. You obviously they can they can see what you're saying. Uh, you can gesture, but with the mask, that's just impossible. So, you know, we took the decision there. Um, fantastic. We found business. Thank God, is doing great. We're open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the moment. Yeah, the, the, ju- the jury is out, Julie, on, on on whether wearing a visor without a face mask is effective at all. So maybe we'll just try and lean on Derek's experience in that regard. Derek, with your product, of course, uh, the GAA helmet by its design is a, is a full face helmet. You can put the, vi- the, the visor inside um, but what about in, in general settings, um, those vertical visors without a face mask are they going to be effective do you think? Well they're definitely going to reduce it Mike and that's all we're trying to do here is I suppose reduce the limits of, of, of either if a child or an adult is a carrier they could give it to someone so you're reducing that and also at the other side uh, so, they won't, so they won't contact it you know, uh, yeah. that's the big thing. Like, and the, the visors do work. Like, it's listening to the medical advice. Somewhere between sixty and eighty percent, you would be reducing by having the nose and the mouth covered. Okay, you know. So yeah, I, I mean, Julie, there, there are there really are no scientific one hundred percent guidelines. But I, I suppose wearing a mask and a visor is going to make you more protected than wearing either or. Uh, but that's not what you're going for in your shop anyway, it's just the visor. No, yeah, it's just, well, to be fair, I think if you're working in the food industry anyway, health and safety is top of the agenda in general, before COVID or pre-COVID. But, I mean, we have the visors, but we also have a um, glass display. We have two metres, which is clearly marked as well for customers coming in. We have reduced the amount of customers. Now, unfortunately, one thing that we have had to do is reduce our menu as well. And people don't quite understand it. They come and say, oh, why don't you have, we, we had one of the largest selections in Ireland. Why don't you have your full selection? I, I, th- I think most restaurants have have reduced their menus. I, I know the Boson is open again in Monkstown. They've got a reduced menu. I was in Monks Lane yesterday in Timaleague, yeah. a fantastic venue. Uh, Gavin Moore there, the host, and, and it's a much reduced menu. Uh, but it's a much more stylish menu, I think. You know, they're, they're, they're not putting 50 things on menus anymore. There's four or five good things. Uh, and yeah. I, I, I was lucky to get a table there yesterday. Look, lucky to be able to book one. Well, our issue would be the kitchen because we fill and decorate on site and it's something that obviously people like to see as well and it gets the kids all excited and the smell is lovely. You can imagine all the caramel and the chocolate and everything as well. Um, But the problem is before we'd have had three or four staff decorating and filling in our kitchen on site but at the moment with the two metre distance we've had to reduce that to to Mm. one staff too dependent on which area they're in. Sticky Fingers by the way by the way I'm not sure if you know Sticky Fingers Julie is an old Rolling Stones album and used to be an old restaurant chain a restaurant chain as well for for Bill Wyman no no complaints from the Rolling Stones No complaints. And we did the Ed Sheeran donut as well when that came out. We had no complaints from him either. Got it from a good source that uh, he got a box of sticky fingers with his face on them. And he was absolutely thrilled. Thought it was great crack. Do, do the Brenda Dennehy donut and send us out a few, will you? <laughs> I will. We certainly will. Well, it's great to be back in business. And can I just say, please, mate, 
Um, we are so grateful and appreciative to all the customers who have supported us. And when we've been closed for nearly four months at this stage, it has been a you know a long and tough road yeah. for every business, not just us. But thank you so much to everyone. And I have to say the Cork people have just been fantastic and their support has been phenomenal. And we're open for business Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Come on in. There's donuts to, to buy and we will be so happy to see all our customers come Perfect. Th- thanks a million, Julia. Back to Derek where we started. Derek, how can people get in touch uh, with you and with Fergus Tuig or order some of these if parents want them, if their own GA club for, or, or soccer club or whatever club uh, is not doing an official policy on these visors? Can parents buy them individually from you? They can indeed. They can buy them on the web uh, at the moment at hurlsafe.ie 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 and we're in. We're actually going out and about this week and next week we're going to a number of clubs all over the country just giving demonstrations with them and they've ordered some local clubs in Cork along with Kerry and we're actually going up as far as down uh, giving them they look they just want to keep keep the kids as safe as they possibly can it's a simple idea I imagine but most good ones probably are it's innovative anyway have you got a patented? Uh, we have indeed we have yeah we've applied for that so and stuff look protect your intellectual property my friend yeah, I know. I just like to say that lady there, no, Julie. Like, there's been enormous cost and expense from companies and fair play to them because look, we're all. I suppose like the same to try to keep things safe, yeah. aren't we? Do okay, know, and to reduce it. Well done for the part you're playing in that. Derek Sheehan and Fergus Tuig of Valley Rovers Club in Cork made the very innovative uh, invention of an in helmet visor, which is keeping kids exponentially safer than not using it at all. So well done to you guys. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Thank cheers. Bye bye. Let's go to Mike on line one. Hi, Mike. Hi, how's it going? No, uh, you want to address this issue that I just brought up, that a face shield without a mask is pointless. That's right. And I think the problem is that the guidance has been put out to say we should wear face coverings, right? There's no difference being made between a mask and a shield. And yes, of course, a shield is better than nothing. But at the same time, when you're going into these restaurants and everyone is wearing a shield that's serving you or greeting you at the door or whatever, they need to wear a mask underneath the shield to protect them. That's, that's just how it works. The, the, to protect the them or to protect thing. you? To protect everybody. Mm-hmm. To protect us, mostly. The, the, the customer needs the protection, right? The masks are to protect the people around you. And if we're all wearing masks, it's all going to work a lot better. But wearing a shield is not wearing a mask at all. Okay. So you need both. Hello, Mike? Hi. Oh, sorry, yeah, the line, the, the line went there. So shields without a mask do nothing, and the government would be irresponsible well, to nothing. continue allowing shields instead of masks then. Right, I, th- I just think both should be worn by people in restaurants who are serving the public or addressing the public in any way. A, a shield alone is not, it, it's good, but it's not providing them the most protection for the people. Okay. Uh, and what about a mask without a shield? Is that better than a shield without a mask? Now, that line is gone again. We'll have to... Uh, They're actually making the difference between a covering and a mask. They're saying you have to wear a mask, not just a covering. Okay. Whereas a shield not, can be a not, covering. Not just right? a face covering. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank, thanks like for that, Mike. Switzerland's put out a, a bunch of guidance saying that it, it must be a mask, not a face shield or both. Okay. A, a mask or both, but not just a face shield. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Hi, Anne. How are you? Hello, Anne. Hi, Mick. How are you? Good, and yourself? Not too bad, neighbour. <laughs> you, you hate masks, do you? Oh, God, Mick, they're dreadful. 
They'd fuck up your glasses. Shocking, and they swear to be pouring out of me. Oh, so it's, it's hard to wear them if you wear glasses. Yeah, it's shocking. I was in Wilson there. I had to go to the hospital last Monday week today, and I went across to the shopping centre, and, my God, I couldn't see anything but the fog and the glasses. And, actually, I saw people in the centre wearing my, their shields, and I thought, they look well. So you're going to go for the shield instead of the mask? Oh, we, my we, son is, yeah, my son is getting me one. We, we have I a have tip already by text for, for you. We have a tip and by text yeah. for you. Uh, if you. If you wash and rub down your glasses with shaving foam. Now, I know this works if you get out of the shower and you see all, all you know, the mirror's all fogged up. If you, mm. if you wipe that down with shaving foam first, it won't mm. fog up. So I assume it would work with the glasses as well. Would you try that? I could try that, yeah. Okay, perfect. But, but it's, you, you yeah. think it's impossible to wear them if you have glasses and you hate the masks oh, anyway? yeah. But, yeah. my, but my son is getting me one today. You can get them in the discount shops for five euro, seemingly. The visors, yeah. is it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, I have a friend who retasks his printing business just to making them. And, mm, uh, and he's doing good. very well in supplying a lot of the, of the PPE elements for the, for the hospitals and that. Doing very, very well with good, it. Very good, yeah. Very good, that is. All right, Anne, yeah. th- thanks a million. You hate the masks, but you, you're going to anyway. get the visors today. Let us know how you get on with the visor, will you? Hope you don't fog that one up now. Yeah, I will, make. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Cheers, bye-bye. And we've lots of texts uh, coming into the programme, which is always the case, of course, on the Neil Crandall Show. Uh, This one is interesting, though. Hi, Mick. I was in a hotel in the city last week with my partner. I ordered two coffees, to which I was told I had to order nine euro worth of food to be served. I read the rules again, and I found that rule only applies if you order an alcohol-based drink. I emailed the hotel twice now and they chose to ignore me on both occasions. I think it's an absolute disgrace you can't sit and have a coffee without these businesses trying to get the extra sale in with the food. I suppose it comes down to us not spending enough on coffee so we were taking up valuable space. But I would appreciate if this could be discussed on air so that other people are aware that businesses of Cork are trying to catch people for more money than they intend on spending. Thanks a million. You are absolutely correct. Of course you can. You don't have to walk into a coffee shop and order nine euros worth of food. You do... Uh, I think it's silly anyway, but uh, you do if you walk into a public house. You must order food at this time uh, and observe the social distancing in order to enjoy a pint or a martini or a glass of wine or a gin and tonic or whatever it is uh, that you have to, uh, you know, is your intended tip-up. But not uh, when it's just for coffee and a sandwich or something. You don't have to order uh, nine euros for that. Now, to a different topic, and sailing off into the future would be the dream of many persons, especially in these uh, troubled times and uh, uh, the whole lockdown situation and restrictive situation uh, makes people dream about this. But uh, now we have a couple coming on who are, are actually about to do it. Uh, and they are Caitlin and Andrew O'Shea. Good morning, Caitlin. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. Now, I, I've had, let, let me declare in case there's any conflict of interest here. Uh, I've had the chance to get to know you guys over the, over the last few weeks in and around Kinsale. Uh, you're, you are from Melbourne. Uh, I am, yes, that's yeah. right. And my uncle was a harbour pilot there for 35 years, and Andrew is from Glanmire. So you are the, you're the sexier sounding one, shall I say, at this time. And I don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna pee off anyone in Glanmire or anyone in Cork in general, but give us a, <laughs> give us a taste of your lovely Aussie accent there. Oh, I don't know, what am I meant to say? Um, yep. <laughs> How, okay, let's get back to the start. How did you meet Andrew, and what brings you here, and why are you sailing out the harbour today into the future? Um, the two of us met out in Melbourne quite a long time ago now, about eight years, and when we first met, it was Andrew's dream, actually, that he wanted to possibly sail around the world, so 
um, that had me a hello practically. And since <laughs> then, we've been um, working towards actually doing that. So today, we actually set off, um, which is pretty, pretty exciting, yeah. Have you set off yet or are you about to? I know it was about 11 o'clock was the plan, was it? Uh, no, it's actually been delayed a little bit. So we're hopefully waiting for a bit of this extra wind to die down. And uh, we'll be heading off around 6 p.m. So. Okay. Perfect. And, uh, of course, Andrew is going to uh, talk to us as well. Can you put him on for a second? Even if just yeah, to... Yeah, just to I'm really... here, Mick. How are you doing? Oh, very good. You can really tell you're from Cork. Andrew, it's been great to get to know you guys over the last few weeks. A little jealous of your ambitions. So where do you go from here? It's Portugal bound now, is it? Yeah, it's straight down to the north coast of Portugal first. And then we're going to tip our way down to the Algarve kind of area and then spend a bit of time there and then into the Mediterranean, and I suppose um, bit by bit uh, work our way through there, and, you know, hopefully sometime we might end up back in Melbourne with the boat, you know, which would be pretty cool, but it's one step at a time at the moment. Uh, yeah, one step uh, at a time. Uh, so a winter in the Med, you could spend five years in the Med and never leave it. Oh, you could for sure, yeah. I mean, um, it's great value over there, it's convenient, and no issues with passports and all that crack, you know, so... Um, yeah, we're we're not rushing out of it. That's for sure. Yeah, you've you've been working in construction. That that job has now come to an end. Uh, I know. I know. Caitlin's going to be working online from the boat. And what what would you say to anyone about taking up this uh, sort of lifestyle? What brought you into it in the first place? Was it just a pipe dream that suddenly became more and more a reality as as you got a little older and you had the money to buy the boat? Uh, exactly. I suppose my father had uh, both when we were kids, and then I'd long break from it, and then. Uh, I suppose, I, yeah, I always kind of had it in my head that, you know, what a way to, to live. It's so simple and you can kind of tap out of um, the rat race, I suppose. You know, you can just kind of slow down your expenses and, um, uh, you know, there's the, there is a big initial expense. But after that... Um, but it's also your home. You know, yeah, it's Everyone your home. pays out for their home. Exactly, it's your home and you can change your address anytime you get sick of the neighbours <laughs> and uh, or weather, anything, you know. So, um, um, yeah, and I mean, you know, the, uh, I've worked in construction for uh, since I was, you know, 16 and um, uh, it's been good to me, but anyone working in the game knows it's, um, it's not easy. So, you know, uh, I, I'm sure I won't be looking back, you know. Um, I'll be really uh, looking forward to this break, you know, and... Um, I'll obviously possibly come back to that uh, whenever I need to to kind of make another few quid. But uh, for the moment, yeah. But you, you, uh, you guys worked in Formula One, did you? Uh, we did, yeah, yeah, out in Melbourne. So tell uh, us about that. I suppose my brother worked there uh, before me, and uh, I kind of slotted in there, and then I got Caitlin a the job there. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah, handlers. Uh, it's it's the build and takedown. So there's you know it's a it's a street race. So all the infrastructure has to come from a, an outer suburb and come in and then get uh, positioned as such. You know. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I've done that for for a while. You know. Okay. First leg of the trip's going to take you what five or six days now across Biscay. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Well, yeah. we're avoiding the Biscay. We'll be just heading sort of straight okay. south. So okay. North of Spain will be our first sort of area that we'll hit. So out a little and then into North Spain and down the coast to Portugal. Uh, what exactly, what, what yeah. sort of food uh, have you stocked up on, maybe a week's worth? Have you a freezer, that kind of thing? <laughs> we've yet to do this. But <laughs> uh, we're getting all of our fresh food today, but we've stocked up on all the usual sort of stuff people would have in their pantries, you know. Um, there is loads of tin food on board. Everyone says, oh, you're just going to be eating tin food. Um, but, you know, we have, you know, we have the noodles, we have the potatoes, we've got the... 
the fishing line. Connie Kilty, black pudding. Uh, who's, who's the culinary expert? Oh yeah, I guess Andrew's gonna he's he's gonna learn a bit of the cooking over this because I said you know I'm gonna have to take a bit of a break if I get seasick. You've got to be a jack of all trades as well to keep the boat maintained and safe. You sure do. Yeah, you, you just have to be able to practically yeah make the best of everything that you can. Andrew has a lot of different skills, so that's fantastic. Um, but I think as a team, you just have to just be willing to sort of work together and you know get the head down when you need to. It's sailing. It's a fantastic thing. Like, I was never into it. I grew up fishing. Um, but I find sailing can be the best and the worst. It can be the worst experience you've ever had because you could have your head shoved down a toilet vomiting for a few hours or you could be in the most amazing place with the sun shining and your friends and all that sort of and stuff. And you're, you're hoping for the latter. Yes, of course. Definitely. <laughs> More of the latter, of course. Okay. <laughs> and so you head off today. Will it be a, will it be a tearful departure at the quayside or at the, at the pontoon side, the family crying uh, and... <laughs> Hopefully not. Possibly, but probably, probably uh, well, I think we should be okay. It'll be a happy, a happy tear if there's one. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not a native of in- Instagram, nor know nothing about it, So, uh, but I believe you have a pretty high Instagram profile, do you? Oh, not really. You wouldn't say hi, but... Um, well, it will be know, after this. <laughs> well, you know, it's something that we kind of have kept going, just sort of to either document, you know, the whole thing for ourselves to be able to look back on, but then share it with other people as well, you know. Hopefully, yes. you know, it might inspire other people to try and do something a little bit different than what, you know, the normal sort of life sort of stuff is. So where can people um, find you on Insta? It is a nautical change. So that's a nautical change. Nautical change, um, not a nautical challenge, no a nautical change. No, no, a nautical change, that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, it's lovely to meet you. Fair winds and following seas, as they say, and uh, I suppose you'll have family members out here and there as you dot your way around the world. Yes, we will. Hopefully we get as many visitors as possible. You might come out yourself, Mick. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you never know. The good ship, Caitlin. How, how do you spell the, the Caitlin, just in case we're trying to track you online or anything? Um, K-A-T-E-L-I-N. K-A-T-E-L-I-N. Uh, so the good ship, Caitlin, leaves today from Kinsale, oh. Portugal bound on the first leg of what should be a global voyage. We wish you both the very, very best. Thanks very much. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, sorry, I hit a button by mistake there. Uh, but thanks, guys. Safe journey. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Bye. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 12 minutes to 12 on Monday's edition of the Neil Prendival Show. And wouldn't you know it, I hit the wrong button. Uh, just as we were saying goodbye to Caitlin and Andrew, I wanted to play this, uh, which is kind of a sailing song and a, a good wish song for all of them. Uh, and I hit the wrong button. So sorry about that, guys. That's what happens on live radio now and again. Christy Moore and the voyage for Andrew and Caitlin as they embark on theirs. People are wondering what was that uh, Instagram? Uh, a nautical change on Instagram. I don't know much about Instagram, so I hope I'm calling it out correctly. A nautical change. Uh, on Instagram. Uh, we will have Minister for Public Expenditure uh, Michael McGrath uh, on the programme tomorrow. He, of course, has defended the decision to increase the salary of a super junior minister in Cabinet by more than 16,000. Uh, two junior ministers are entitled to receive an annual allowance now of 16,888 on top of their 124,000 439 salary. And that, among other topics, we will discuss with Michael McGrath in the morning. Good morning, Brendan. Hello, Brendan. Hello, Mick. How are you? Hi, oh, very good. Last call of the programme today. Um, and uh, you, you're you saying 
asking what's my opinion really on people on the Doyle deciding on their own friends' wages. Correct. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, there's an old saying, you know, there's no point aspiring to high office unless you can abuse the power that comes with it. That's true. <laughs> I heard that saying before, but I'm just wondering what's your opinion and do you think it's right that they in the office decide what wages they get but yet the public us being you me everyone else in Ireland has voted them in there but they decide whether they increase their wages and decrease the rest of the civil service wages mm-hmm. like the nurses and everyone else that's actually putting the country back we, we don't have a huge staff here in Red FM necessarily at the moment because of the COVID restrictions a lot of people are working from home but, but everybody I think here has taken a, a pay cut I've certainly taken one to do this programme for Neil and I don't mind doing that uh, and then when you look at Jacinta Ardern uh, and across the board, her entire cabinet and all of her uh, elected officials are taking a 20% pay cut for six months. Uh, it does kind of rank her and it does fly in the face of of all of that goodness when, when you see people making sacrifices to see those already on 124 grand a year, topping it up to 140. It's correct, um, but do you not think that it's a bit hypocritical of them getting 120,000 a year but yet they will expect the nurses and all the people on the front line who are probably on, you know, wages of between 20 and 40,000 that will probably have to take a 10 or 20 or 15% take out in the future. But yet they decided that they want an increase on their 120,000. Well, a lot of people on the front line are also on the bread line. And, you know, giving them a round of applause while, while ministers top themselves up by what is essentially, uh, I suppose, a starting working wage. Uh, 16 grand a year, you know, for you know, for a 17, 18 year old going into the workplace would probably be, uh, or, or someone who's a busy part timer would probably come in with that 16 grand on an annual basis. Correct. So, like, that's my point is we're here giving a hand, you know, clap to all these people on the front line, but yes, you've these guys sitting up in an office in Dublin on 120,000 a year, which is, you know, considerably higher than a very high average wage in Ireland and yet they now want an extra 16,000. I, I think 140 would be at least, it would be three times the industrial working wage here, the average industrial wage. Yeah, I think, I think you're correct. It's, it's between, you know, it varies depending on what, what you look at in sites, but probably between 35 and 50 is a, you know, a good industrial wage. And we're asking, you know, you're asking the people who are probably on less than that in the public sector you know, nurses and frontline staff that are probably on, you know, between 20 and 40,000, you know, just given average because there's different rates, I guess, in the public sector. But, that, but then, 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 you, the then you have people who are working up, up to 10 weeks ago, say, 12 weeks ago, 14 weeks ago, who have their holidays paid for and now through no fault of their own on a COVID payment and having their, their benefits taken from them because they, they've, on, you know, wisely or unwisely travelled to fulfil their holiday. Yeah, I, and I understand that, but my my question is, is it right for the, them to be asked to be voting themselves to get an extra 16,000? Shouldn't that be the public, you know? Shouldn't we have the vote to say, no, we don't want you to get an extra 16,000 because... And once you vote them in, that's it, you see, they, they have carte blanche. We'll leave it there because I want to squeeze in a more quick call, but I will bring up that topic tomorrow morning with Michael yeah. McGraw, okay? If, if you bring it up, Michael, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for me. Have a nice day. Thanks a million, you too. I didn't expect to have another call, but we do have one quick one. David, good morning. Good morning, mate. You're saying shaving foam on the glasses works perfectly well to stop them steaming up. 
Correct. Uh, thank, uh, you gave that out there about 15 minutes ago. But you, you can confirm and it works, yeah? Yeah, it was just, it just as you were talking about, I was just on the verge of having a shave. Okay. Uh, and, and I just thought I tried on the glasses as well. Did a little bit of heavy breathing on the glasses then, did you? And I left, I left, the, foam, I left the shaving foam on the glasses for maybe three or four minutes, left the dry in, and then I uh, cleaned them completely, put on the mask and the glasses, took a few good breaths, and nothing appeared on the glass. Well, no there's, there's a little life hack we're happy to bring you. David, thanks very much for the call. Appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thanks. All the best. Bye-bye. The program is produced today by our senior producer, Brenda Dennehy, ably assisted by uh, our other producers who are Mark Willington and Seamus Whelan. This is Mick Mulcahy. Have a good Monday. Talk to you tomorrow on the Neil Prendival Show. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.